You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome to week two of episode two of part five of Star Wars season. We're here to get halfway through the prequels uh, in one of the ones we've most been excited about because it's probably the most teased episode in the history of the Oz Network, all for one iconic line, which uh, I'm very excited to get to. And uh, more than just the line, I'm excited to get to all the other stuff in this movie because we're here to talk about Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones, uh, the follow-up to Phantom Menace, the prequel to everything else, and the introduction of the first, I guess, Canadian Star Wars actor or main Star Wars actor, which is as exciting as George Lazenby was to James Bond and was generally as well-received as George Lazenby was to James <laughs> Bond. <laughs> We got so much here to talk about, and yet, uh, famous last words. Um, I have a feeling this might be our shortest episode, but (laughs) the (laughs) listeners know before we do, so let's jump right into it. My name is Colin, and don't worry, we have our two with us. (laughs) And my name is Ben, and I'm good at fixing things. Always was, but I couldn't. Why'd she have to die? Why couldn't I save her? I know I could have. Sometimes there are things no one can fix. You're not all powerful, Annie! Well, I should be! Someday I will be! I will be the most powerful Jedi ever! I promise you! I will learn to stop people from dying! Anakin! It's all Obi-Wan's fault! He's jealous! He's holding me back! He's jealous! He's holding me back! What's wrong, Annie? I... I killed them! I killed them all! They're dead! Every single one of them! And not just the men, but the women! And the children, too! They're like animals! And I slaughtered them like animals! I hate them! Uh, to be angry is to be human, Ben. <laughs> I'm a Jedi! I know I'm better than this! <laughs> I thought you were going to go with the bad one. that's why we so said I'm... it would be... <laughs> <Let the code laughs> so I, I, I thought you were going to go with the sand one so i'm like oh i don't want to leave you with nothing to say <laughs> uh good news is this is now our shortest episode ever because ben just recapped the whole movie <laughs> buy it Richard or pin it <laughs> buy it because we have r2 with this ah! <laughs> um okay so this one's gonna be fun i mean i, I think we you know ended last week by kind of summing up our feelings on attack of the clones and we also mentioned you know this is one of those movies that people are very divided on because there seem to be almost just as many people that say it's the worst star wars movie or the worst star wars prequel as there are that say it is one of the best star wars movies and the best star wars prequel and uh i feel like if any star wars prequels reputation has probably improved over the years it might actually be attack of the clones because there just seem to be a ton of people who are like yeah you know the, the more I watch it, the more I really love this movie. And you even mentioned, like, long before we started the Oz Network, you know, Noah even commenting around the time The Force Awakens came out, like, how underrated Attack of the Clones was. And I think we are both in agreement. I mean, I, overall, this, this is not a deep movie. It is just pure fun. It's pure action. You know, it, it progresses the story enough. But it's just made for entertainment. And I, I feel like... This is another one of these things like we mentioned with The Phantom Menace where people have these fond memories of growing up on the originals so they become very judgmental about things about the prequels even though it's no different than the originals. Because let's go back to A New Hope or we will eventually go forward to it. But if you look back on A New Hope, it's essentially the same movie as Attack of the Clones. There's not a lot of depth to it. It's just action. It's just nonstop 
you know, uh, action scene, gunfight scene, lightsaber scene, starfighting scene, one after the other. Story just barely pushes forward. You have some humor in there. You have, you know, a, a lot of characters, a lot of villains. And I always sort of saw the Star Wars prequel series as each emulating a different one of the original trilogies. And I think I even mentioned this last week that, you know, when you look at The Phantom Menace, it kind of was Return of the Jedi. It was the one made for kids. It was a little bit too kid-friendly for some people's tastes, but it was just a kid's movie. Attack of the Clones is a new hope. It's just an action-adventure movie all around. And then Revenge of the Sith is where you get into the dark stuff, you get into the depressing stuff, you get into uh, all the tragedy, and they just simply told it in a different order. Um, so, I mean, th- that's kind of my opinion on Attack of the Clones. And I actually want to save our reactions to this, because I feel like um, normally we start out these episodes with what your initial reaction or experience was to seeing the movie. But I kind of feel like, especially after we spent maybe an hour talking about the buildup to the movie, with the Star Wars movies, there's so much anticipation, so much buildup, it almost makes more sense to talk about the anticipation before we get to our reactions. So if you want to start out, you can give some opinions on the movie, but also what do you remember specifically from the buildup, the three-year-long buildup or months-long build-up before Attack of the Clones came out? I think um, I don't remember there being as much hype as Episode 1 and Episode 3. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, I remember there being hype and remember it being advertised and sort of everyone excited for it, but I feel like Episode 1 and 3 sort of were different ends of the spectrum, weren't they? Episode 1 was the anticipation because we hadn't had one in so long and, you know, we talked about that last week. Episode 3 was because at that time it was going to be the last ever Star Wars movie, um, you know, we're kind of finally getting to see the the switch from Anakin to the dark side and all this sort of stuff. So I feel like out of all of them, uh, episode two, at least maybe in Australia, had the least amount of hype. Um, but there was also a bit around this movie in Australia as well, because of course this was mainly filmed in Fox Studios in Sydney. And, you know, I know we talked a lot about that during Mission Impossible 2, that at that time it wasn't really a huge thing that movies were filmed in Australia. So Mission Impossible 2 was a very big deal. The Matrix was a very big deal. Got a lot of press in Australia. But these, I think these got a lot more hype just because it was like, hey, they're filming Star Wars in Australia. Um, so that got a, a big deal around it. I remember, like, I talked about in episode one, like, random ad commercial ads for, like, products, like, chips or tie-ins. I remember this mm. having ones as well. Like, I remember they kept showing, like, I don't know if, if it was for chips again, but, like, they had, like, the Watto scene when it's like, hey, Jedi, what do you know? <laughs> like, they'd always show that. And then, like, the bit when I just, obviously, the overly long quote when he's like, I'm a Jedi, they, like, would always dub that over, like, just before you see Watto. So he's like, I'm a Jedi. And then you're like, hey, a Jedi, what do you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then they would always show like um him jumping out of the speed if you excuse me i hate it when he does that like yeah. just like you know they'd always try and show like bits like that so um random little tie-ins i remember but um yeah i i don't i was 15 when this came out um and again i won't say react but i mean it was a similar to episode one i saw it twice at the movies um and you'll get a lot of my love for Natalie Portman in this movie. Like, maybe that was my my overwhelming reaction from this movie was Ben 15, hit puberty. <laughs> right age at the right time. <laughs> very right age at the right time. So, a lot of school books and homework diaries were very much covered with Natalie Portman pictures after this movie. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, did you have as much hype over this? Because I, I, I seem to remember there just not being as much hype as Episode 1 and Episode 3 with Episode 2. 
Yeah, no, it, there wasn't as much. I mean, it's it's not even a thing of, oh, well, the reaction to the first movie lessened this because the hype was still insane. I mean, there was nothing else out in 2002, including the second Lord of the Rings movie, despite how big the first Lord of the Rings was, and the second Harry Potter, despite how big the first Harry Potter movie was. Nothing equaled the hype behind episode two. It was still like the most talked about movie of the year. But it's just like you said, with the Phantom Menace being the first one in 16 years, and then Revenge of the Sith being this is the final one of the story, and of course the return of Darth Vader, those always were going to be more hyped, more publicized, uh, more anticipation. But um, I also think that they they made some corrections on merchandising, which what most people remember about you know the Phantom Menace. Uh, as far as like the hype leading up to it, a lot of it was the merchandise. And there's some very famous stories of Phantom Menace merchandise, despite being the most financially successful merchandising campaign of any movie in history, still coming up short because they over-anticipated how big this would be, not how big the movie would be, but how much the merchandise was. So they're like, We've never seen anything like this. Let's just literally make action figures for every character. Let's make merchandise, coloring books, shampoo bottles, toothbrushes for whatever there is. And all these famous stories about, you know, by the end of the summer of 99 or the fall of 99, there was just Star Wars merchandise that stores couldn't give away. And that was not a reaction to the movie because, again, The Phantom Menace made more money merchandise-wise than any movie prior to that. It was just they made too much. And going into Attack of the Clones, there was, I think, a conscious effort to not overdo it and to actually kind of scale back. And I think you mentioned chips. I don't know if it was the same one there as is here, but Doritos, I think, was the like the big mm. campaign. Uh, and you had like the characters on the, you know, the front of the bags and everything. Mm-hmm. And inside here, there was like basically little plastic puzzle pieces. Yeah. Uh, that create like characters or a scene from the movie. And I remember like buying a ton of Doritos, <laughs> you know, that summer uh and trying to put these all together i think i still have some of them but i never really completed my collection but other things like you know uh the pizza hut and taco bell and kfc campaigns where there were all those collector cups and uh you know action figures you could get it just wasn't the same now the action figures there was still a lot of that i remember buying a lot of these uh they did some cool things with the action figures too where for the first time they made star wars action figures kind of interactive so like uh, I think the Mace Windu one, you press a button on his back and he would swing his lightsaber around. And the 3PO one, you could remove his covering so you could see naked 3PO and then clothe 3PO. Did uh, you have a Padme but... one for that? No. <laughs> Damn it. They missed the boat on that, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, it, it was very scaled down intentionally. Uh, other than that, I think the main thing was just sort of the trailers and i'll i'll get to the casting of hayden christensen in a minute because i got a lot to say on that but um they did a different approach whereas with phantom menace like everybody expected the first teaser trailer that came out like we mentioned with the siege and the water boy or whatever it was that it would be a teaser and it ended up being like a full trailer and you know people were blown away by that they didn't want to reveal too much too early but they actually came up with a very clever campaign to promote this where three weeks in a row there would be three teaser trailers released, all completely different, all showcasing a different part of the movie. So the first one came out with Monsters, Inc. And I remember paying to go see Monsters, Inc. in the theater, having no interest in the movie at all, Aww. just one to see because the, the, I think it wasn't until the, the second trailer came out, uh, like the main trailer in March of the next year, that was the first time where a trailer was ever released on the internet before it was in theaters. Around mm. this time... 
movies would be released in theaters because trailers were looked at a way to promote movies. Like they saw the success it gave the Waterboy, and by the time March rolled around, they're like, let's just release on the internet. But here, they said, let's do the first teaser trailer with uh, Monsters Inc. We'll do another teaser trailer like a week later that will release online only, like exclusive, and then a third teaser trailer that will be released with Harry Potter the week after that. So when I paid to see the Monsters Inc. movie, it was just to see that trailer. And that's the first trailer, which I think it's actually called Breathing, where it's just all these clips of the movie. And there's like some ominous music playing and it's just the sound of Darth Vader breathing. And you get all these incredible shots from the movie, like one hanging from the droid. Yeah, it was incredible. And I just remember watching this like by the time they did release online over and over and over again. And then a week later, they released a second trailer, which was called Mystery, which was mostly about the separatist plot but if you watch the trailer now it's almost all from the opening of the movie especially the speeder chase like you mentioned that whole i hate it when he does that part (laughs) and then the third trailer which was the love story trailer i think was called like love or something like that uh and that was the one showing like the padme anakin love story and that was when release of harry potter um my brother didn't go to the Monsters, Inc. one with me, but when the Harry Potter trailer was released, he paid to go with me. But he's like, I, I'm not going to stick around for this movie. <laughs> so he paid full price, watched the trailer, and as soon as the trailer was over, decided, okay, I'm going home. And I stayed to watch the movie. You know, I, I honestly don't care for Harry Potter at all, but I'm like, well, I paid for it. Why not? Did you uh, stay for Monsters, told- Inc.? Yeah, I did stay for Monsters, Inc. as well. Okay, also, good. don't really care for the movie, but oh, I'm not going to waste Inc's my money. great. <laughs> Now, maybe I, maybe I'd appreciate it more now, but uh, but with the Harry Potter one it was fun because again, that's that was like the Star Wars of two thousand one. It was the most hyped movie everybody was waiting for. And when my brother left the theater, he's like, there were four or five other people. Like he told me, I got home four or five other people on their way. I was like, yeah, I'm not sticking around to watch this movie. I got what I wanted. <laughs> like, so there was still that excitement with Star Wars, even after what most people consider the negative reaction to Phantom Menace, which, as we said, was you know uh, people were like okay with the movie they weren't like blown away but they were still okay with it that people were willing to just walk away and you know that was what was crazy to me and then of course the final trailer the first one that was released online only was the one that mostly shows the geonosis stuff and uh that trailer i remember watching 25 times in a row i counted (laughs) and knew it by heart and my brother who of course also a star wars fan wasn't home uh and uh i think he was out of town at a friend's house or something like that and i remember him calling me and i recited the whole trailer to him and then there's this part where you know the the, the lightsabers all come on you see all the jedi and it's just it, it for me i was still just as excited as i was for the phantom menace and i think part of that is that they built the anticipation in a different way where they revealed little bits at a time and you didn't have a lot of overexposure with like the merchandise and everything else I liked, um, I mentioned with episode one, the teaser poster with little Annie and the Darth Vader mm. shadow. The one I really liked was this one, which I remember seeing very early days in the cinemas. Because um, a lot of the time, you know, I didn't have internet at home for a long time. And I think I mentioned sort of last week with episode one that I didn't really read a lot of movie news and stuff like that on the internet that age. But to see upcoming movies, our cinema obviously would have the posters of coming soon. And, like, for example, like Jurassic Park 3, I never knew it was happening until I saw a poster in the cinema, like, six months beforehand. I was like, what? Jurassic Park 3 is happening? <laughs> um, but the poster I really liked was that one where you've got um, Anakin and Padme sort of back-to-back, and it's got that, a Jedi shall not know yeah. love or hatred or whatever it is. Like, I love that poster. I thought it was so clever. Um, and also, like, it was around this time, 
Um, you, you used to get like, I'm sure you get them in Canada, like every six months or so, some company will release like a weekly magazine where, you know, like I collected the whole James yeah. Bond one and you got like a card. Yeah. And they did a Star Wars one at some point around this, you know, first one, $5 and every issue after that's like $10. So I got it for a couple of months. And as you do, you never usually collect them all. I think the only one I've ever collected all was the James Bond one. Um, but they, they had this section about Attack of the Clones in it and they had this like, pull out timeline of the Star Wars universe. And this is where it sort of like got you really excited for what was still to come in, you know, Attack of the Clones and then Revenge of the Sith ultimately, because it kind of had like, what will will have to be shown before uh, the end of this mm-hmm. trilogy? And it was sort of like, you know, Anakin's going to do this. Anakin's going to do that. Anakin is going to do this. Anakin. Um, <laughs> Anakin will discover his hatred of sand. Um, and you were just kind of like, wow, like he's going to hate sand. Like, <laughs> It'll be amazing, but it just—it just really, it was like really well written and really well done. So just, I remember just random little things like that. I think, um, sort of on the merchandise, I'm trying to remember what I got for Attack of the Clones. I feel like I got Lego around Attack of the Clones, um, but I don't know if I got as much merchandise. Maybe I was getting to that age where, like, oh god, mm. toys. Um, yeah, when I, mean, I, was... I was definitely past that age, but still buying it. I, in fact, I still have four separate coloring books that were released for Attack of the Clones that I did a lot of coloring in, even though I was probably too old for coloring books. I remember the movies that I got, like, I was an adult for toys. It was when Toy Story 3 came out. Like, I want a Buzz Lightyear toy. So we got a Buzz mm-hmm. Lightyear toy. And when Jurassic World came out, like, I remember in Hobart, no one was selling Jurassic World merchandise. I was so fucking angry. And then finally, I got some little random dinosaur toy, which was shit. But anyway. <laughs> um... Going back even before the trailers, I guess uh, the the first thing that really hyped this movie up, like because these movies filmed two years ahead of time, so Phantom Menace comes out in '99, the DVD doesn't get released, or the video technically doesn't even get released until April of the next year, so like eleven months later, and then uh, maybe two or three months after that, sometime during the summer of 2000, they re-released the original trilogy on video, and it actually included like a sneak peek at Attack of the Clones. And um, I remember going out to buy that, even though I had the videos for the original trilogy. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to buy this. It's, 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 a re- new, it's a re-remastered version, and I get to see a 10-minute documentary on Attack of the Clones. And that uh, was basically all stuff that was filmed uh, on uh, in Tunisia for the, the Lars home. Uh, and they introduced like Owen and Brew in there and they, they had Anthony Daniels being interviewed and it was a lot of them building the sets and, you know, showing we're, we're recreating the kitchen, we're recreating the garage. And I just remember getting so excited about that. And that sort of led me around the same time where, you know, I first got the internet and I was able to on a daily basis read, okay, these are new actors that are cast. And of course I had no idea who any of these people are because they're all Australian. You actually might have known some of these people, but you know, a lot of these, we yeah, get to I, a lot of these, uh, like Jay Gaia, Joel Edgerton, they were big mm-hmm. stars in Australia. Jack Thompson, yeah, and obviously. <laughs> I, I just remember like all these actors clicking on IMDb and like, okay, they're in some Australian TV show, some Australian movie. And I, I think the only one that I had any connection to was uh, Temiara Morrison mm. uh, because it said he had been in Vertical Limit. And I had to go back and rewatch Vertical Limit because that's sort of the, the fanaticism I had with Star Wars. It was the same thing with The Phantom Menace where every actor who was in it I'm like, I got to see everything they've been in. So I went out and I rented every Samuel Jackson movie, every, believe it or not, Natalie Portman movie, uh, every Jake Lloyd movie I could find. And as soon as both I realized, okay, there's, yeah, exactly. And it really was both of them. Uh, but as, <laughs> We've as soon as I realized. We've already covered both of them on this show, so we're fine. <laughs> <laughs> but 
Jake Lloyd Hoffman, already completed. <laughs> but when you know, I discovered IMDb, they have links where you could see what all these actors are. And I would just go to the video stores and I'd create lists for myself. And I'm like, okay, this guy who's playing Uncle Owen, he was in this. I'm like, I don't see any of these things here. And that was frustrating <laughs> for me, but you know, still fun when I was able to discover a lot of these actors later on, like especially Joel Edgerton, who is one of my favorite actors now. I reckon, uh, but, in all uh, fairness, just to interrupt you, there's some of these people that I watch this movie that I, I reckon realistically we could get on the show. Jay Lagaya, and we'll talk about him. Just, I reckon we could get him on the show um, mm-hmm. because I, he doesn't really do a lot now. But um, even the woman who plays Baru, who I've Bonnie PSPs, I've not yeah. heard of her. Um, but is she like look- a musician instead of an actress? Yeah, she's definitely one that hasn't gone on. Like Rose Byrne, like this this movie has a oh. great cast. Can I just point this out? Like I was pointing this out to Mallory. Like when you just randomly go, like Rose Byrne's in this movie. Like Jimmy Smith's mm. is in this movie. Like it's just it's so it's actually crazy how good the cast is of this movie. Like I just always yeah. forget Christopher Lee. God damn it! Uh, and just I don't know. I think you know, but I feel like living in New Zealand now. I'm getting on the New Zealand defensive side that. Tamara Morrison is actually a Kiwi, but uh, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> just, just to not offend the one New Zealand listener that will get this. I don't want to get deported yet. Uh, and a couple other things that were kind of known before the movie came out, like that you know, Yoda would be CGI, which I think a lot of people reacted negatively to. And then George Lucas sort of explained, we're going to be seeing Yoda in action in this movie because he is a Jedi and we're not going to have a puppet operating a lightsaber nobody really uh, he didn't really say that he would have a lightsaber that was one of the things they kind of kept really tight-lipped until you saw the movie uh but you know knowing that yoda would be in action people were saying like okay well i guess that makes sense um the other i guess the biggest thing was the casting of anakin because it was known from the beginning like this is going to have a 10-year jump so jake lloyd's not going to be before phantom Menace came out everybody knew jake lloyd wouldn't be in the next one and i remember the lead up to this pretty much from when the Phantom Menace came out until a year later when Hayden Christensen was cast. Every single day there were news stories. This person's in the running. And the funny thing is, like, you can still find this information. Like, when you go on Wikipedia, they have a list of other actors who auditioned, they say. None of which actually auditioned because they have come out and actually, you know, debunked all these people. And in fact, most of these actors who claim they were in the running have come up and been like, no, I had no, that had nothing to do with this. The biggest being Leonardo DiCaprio, which this is, I had a hatred for Leonardo DiCaprio for years. In a way, (laughs) I mean, I can appreciate him as an actor, but the fact is early in his career, like most people don't want to admit it now because he's kind of like this, this, you know, uh, national treasure. Um, But he was, uh, after Titanic, kind of a bit of a Hollywood bully. And uh, the most famous story being the movie that he did after Titanic, the first big one he signed on for, The Beach. Um, Danny Boyle, who since went on to do Slumdog Millionaire, um, you know, he had made all of his movies with Ewan McGregor, and he had cast Ewan McGregor in that movie. And then Leonardo DiCaprio somehow got when they were making this movie, The Beach, and he's like, well, I really want to be in this movie. So he called a few people, and basically the studio ended up going to Danny Boyle and saying, we can get Leonardo DiCaprio. We'll give you an extra $10 million in your budget if you drop Ewan McGregor. And that led to Ewan McGregor and Danny Boyle having a falling out for years. And they were like, they basically started their careers together. They weren't just like coworkers. They were like really good friends. But DiCaprio forced his way into that movie. The other one being American Psycho, uh, which Christian Bale, of course, that made him a star. Christian Bale was cast in that movie like three years before it came out. And then Titanic comes out and Leonardo DiCaprio again finds out they're making this movie. They already have an actor. They already have a director. It's like, I want to make this movie instead. And then he goes to the studio and is like, 
I want to make this. Martin Scorsese wants to make it with me. Drop the director and drop the actor. And they did drop the director, Mary Harn, who's also Canadian, um, and Christian Bale, who was signed on. Because I remember seeing news stories about this after Titanic, where Christian Bale, who was a nobody, was being interviewed. Like, you know, this actor was dropped from the movie, and he's like, you know, I don't hold anything against Leonardo DiCaprio, but, like, this was my role. And then they just decided he's a bigger star, and suddenly I'm dropped. And then DiCaprio and Scorsese decide not to make it, and they give it back to Christian Bale. But DiCaprio actually had this reputation of forcing his way into movies and other people losing their jobs as a result of it for a while. And he's obviously matured since then, I guess partly because he only makes movies with Martin Scorsese, where there's nobody else to drop because they're just all written for DiCaprio. But really, if you pay attention to the timeline and, and all, if you read all the interviews of the time period, like Leonardo DiCaprio was never in the running. George Lucas said from the beginning he wanted a complete unknown. He specifically wanted to cast an actor who actually was the age of the character. He wanted to cast somebody who was late teens, early 20s at the most. DiCaprio was already like in his mid to late 20s at this point. And there's some interviews you can still dig up where Leonardo DiCaprio basically says, yeah, I met with George Lucas about it, but we haven't decided anything. And then George Lucas says, um, I ran into him at a premiere or a party once, and he sort of asked me about it. I'm like, uh, I don't know. We'll see. And then just never followed up on it. <laughs> so DiCaprio kind of used this media to try to get into this role for whatever reason which is the way i you know kind of dissect it but it's been said on both parts like dicaprio now says now oh i turned down the movie and george lucas is like no i never offered it to him he asked me about it once in completely uh, <laughs> off the job setting uh but just that's one of these things we discover now with like the james bond movie where the media will just say this person's the next actor to be cast and they'll report it as if it's truth because there were people at the time who were like, Brad Pitt's going to be the new Anakin Skywalker. It's like, Brad Pitt's almost 40. <laughs> you really think he's going to be cast? And all those big names from the time period, like Paul Walker and Leonardo DiCaprio, and they were all mentioned. The only one who actually did have any type of interview or audition for it was Joshua Jackson, who was from mm. Mighty Ducks movies, of course, Dawson's Creek, Charlie. Fringe. Charlie, yeah. Um, where That's why. <laughs> exactly, Yeah. <laughs> I just um, I hate them all of them. Way I, to go, Spazway. <laughs> <laughs> but um, both George Lucas and Joshua Jackson have both said, "Yeah, we met about it for about fifteen minutes. We just sort of had a brief conversation, and then we're like, you know what? I don't think you're right for the role." I was like, "All right, thanks for meeting with me, George," and just sort of walked out. Otherwise, it was always going to be an unknown. And I just remember how excited I got when they finally announced this because this was like probably the most talked about casting in Hollywood history. And I see this story online, and it's like the new Anakin Skywalker, Hayden Christensen. And I click on it, and it says, he's a Canadian actor. Like, I, I, I almost broke down in tears. Like, it was the happiest moment of my life. Like, a Canadian is playing, you know, the, the dream role in the dream movie. Um, and, of course, nobody had really seen him in anything at this point. But he had done a TV show uh, called Higher Ground, which only lasted for a season. And the main reason it only lasted for a season was because... They wrapped filming, and he immediately went into all the auditions and screen tests for Anakin. And when he signed on, they just sort of ended the show, despite the fact it had good ratings here in Canada. But if you can go back and watch the show Higher Ground now, and like you can see what the appeal was. And I've always said like Hayden Christensen, far better actor than people give him credit for. And it's unfair that he's sort of judged for his acting based solely on Star Wars, whereas somebody like Natalie Portman isn't. You know, that's where a lot of my frustration of 
uh, you know, Natalie Portman's performance comes from here, because I'll still argue she's just as bad. But I don't. What do you remember from the casting of Anakin? And do you remember even noticing when they said, you know, this guy Hayden Christensen, and having any, any opinions once you saw him? Just quickly, Life as a House came out the year before, didn't it? Um, the year before, yeah, he filmed it after Star Wars, but it came out uh, the year before Attack of. We've talked about that, haven't we? Because Ian Summerhold is in that movie. How have we not done this movie? I want to see Boone it's a great, and Anakin. It, yeah, it really is a great movie. you got Kevin Klein and Kristen Scott Thomas. Mary Steinberger, Steinberger, whatever you say her name is. Um, Scott Bakula. Well, and also just quickly too, according to Wikipedia at least, they're saying Ryan Filippi uh, was in the role running. Yeah. <laughs> Never happened. <laughs> none of these uh, people. You look at Wikipedia. None of these people were even made, meeting with the producers. Ryan Felipe is Anakin Skywalker. Look, I uh, look. I don't. Again, I don't remember a whole lot around. It. I, I I always remember the Leonardo DiCaprio bit, though, because like I that was a thing. I think when the publicity was done, like Leonardo DiCaprio was in the running for this role, um, and I had no clue who this guy was. I had no clue who Hayden Christensen was. Um, you know, I don't think there was anything. I don't think we got any of his. I, like, I'm looking at his filmography well before that like i used to watch the goosebumps tv show so i probably saw him in that episode could i remember it no um he was apparently in the night of the living dummy part three episode so no i cannot remember that uh and the virgin suicides i remember was a fairly biggish movie wasn't it um so but i think there was a bit of publicity just around the fact like who is hayden christensen and sort of talking him up and you know, like, kind of, we talked a bit about episode one, how at the time it wasn't necessarily all these negative reviews like it gets now. And I feel at the time of episode two, it's not like after the movie was released, everyone was like, oh my God, this new guy sucks. Like, it kind of, mm-hmm. I feel like it was just normal. Like, it's it's interesting how movie reviews are done now compared to back then, isn't it? Because basically, as soon as a movie comes out now, people rip into it straight away. If somebody's bad or, like, this happens, that mm-hmm. happens. Whereas back then, it didn't seem to be as negative. So, um, yeah, I don't really have a whole lot to say on that because I don't... I just... I do remember the Leonardo DiCaprio stuff because, obviously, I mean, he would probably be the biggest star in Hollywood at that time, wouldn't he, in 2002? Mm-hmm. And... and- you really got to love the line on Wikipedia where it says Leonardo DiCaprio also met with Lucas for the role, but was, in quotes, definitely unavailable, according to DiCaprio's publicist. <laughs> if you look at Leonardo DiCaprio's filmography, he didn't do anything for three years. <laughs> he was unavailable. If he was unavailable, he was sitting on his couch getting fat or something for Gangs of New York, because that's the only prep he would have. He, he does nothing between the beach and Gangs of New York. It reminds me when you say, like, how George Lucas is like, no, I just bumped into it. It reminds me, I don't know if you saw recently those stories about um, Moby, the DJ guy, saying that he dated Natalie oh, Portman. Yeah. And then <laughs> Natalie Portman's like, um, I met him at a party once. He was creepy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just reminds me of that. Come on, I mean, come on. If I met Natalie Portman at a party once, I'm saying I dated her too. So it's fine, Moby. <laughs> I'm with you, right? Just you be you, mate. It's a good thing to say. Um, so we can get into our experience of seeing the movie now I mean I think we both were probably there as soon as it opened Uh, we talked about the the giant lineups they had for the Phantom Menace and I said how out of control the Winnipeg one was where people were having shopping cart jousts and (laughs) we had 600 people in front of the theater there was no actual line so it was just crowds of people sweating and forcing their way in the door for like 8 hours straight Uh, Theaters experience this everywhere, apparently, because uh, I remember thinking they're going to release the advanced tickets like a week before the movie, like they did with The Phantom Menace, and going to the theater and calling the theater daily 
and saying, hey, do you have advanced tickets? And they would tell me, it's like, yeah, you know what? Lucasfilm isn't uh, actually announcing a date for this. Basically, it's going to happen when it happens. So keep calling us, keep coming down, and one of these days it'll be there. And every single day I would call, and I remember calling one day like, something like, you know, four o'clock in the afternoon, like, hey, do you know are there advanced tickets for, for episode two yet? And they're like, uh, yeah, they just went on sale this afternoon. I'm like, okay, I'll be there. And I was like down there in 30 minutes buying tickets, you know, uh, as many as I could get. The only thing I'm really sad about is that, you know, I love the experience of midnight shows and they really haven't done those here in North America for years because now it's just normal to release it the night before, like in the evening, so they can make more money, obviously. But I love that experience of seeing the midnight or 1.15 a.m. show of The Phantom Menace. And they only released like matinee tickets, but then they decided to do a midnight screening like at the last minute, which of course I had already had my tickets for the next day. So I didn't get to experience like the very first showing of the day for Attack of the Clones. But I was there, I think it was like noon or 1230 or something like that in the afternoon. And I, I remember going with my mom and my brother and, you know, sitting in the front row and uh, I guess also tying it into the, the publicity before this, you know, there was a leaked review from, I guess, an early cut of the movie from Harry Knowles, who does the Ain't It Cool News, which was like the big, you know, uh, site of the time, I guess, um, the pop culture site of the, of the time period. He somehow had seen this and he was somebody who's you know, you know, considered at the time because of like this is like when the Internet's really taking off to be able to have the ability to make or break a movie. And he came out and said it is the best Star Wars movie. And basically then said in an interview clarifying it's like i don't think this is the best star wars movie i think it is the most entertaining star wars movie i've ever seen at least since a new hope like even over empire and i remember watching this the first time and at one point like being doubtful of that and then turning to my brother and being like i think this is the the most entertaining movie i've ever seen like not even thinking about that review but just during the whole battle of geonosis just being so blown away and you know the more you watch it it doesn't necessarily feel like, you know, it is the greatest movie in the Star Wars series, but I'll still hold to the fact that during the best bits of this movie, especially the third act, you'd be hard pressed to find something that's more action packed and as exciting as Attack of the Clones is. Like, I still get a huge reaction to watching all the Geonosis stuff and, you know, Yoda at the end. So, I mean, I walked out of this absolutely loving the movie and the soundtrack, too. I mean, it's probably one of my mm. least favorite Star Wars soundtracks, but I bought this soundtrack. And I went to bed at night playing the soundtrack for several days and let it play on loop throughout the night. And I'd wake up in the night, like, oh, I love this. Music's great. You know, so uh, so many things I think really did hit with this movie. And although I don't have as strong of a reaction as I did to it when I first saw it, you know, I, I still ultimately saw this movie m more than it does. I think I saw it like 17 or 18 times, including the the IMAX screenings they had, you know, and, and still I, I, I still have this excitement when I watch Attack of the Clones. It's interesting to say about the soundtrack because I, I love the soundtrack for this movie. I don't know if I've... It's, it's hard ranking the Star Wars soundtracks because it's kind of... I feel I can rank pieces of music or certain scores. Like, you know, we talk about Jewel of the Fates. Um, I absolutely love the the scene from the, the battle uh, Mustafa in the next movie. And then, like, the asteroid chase in Empire Strikes Back is maybe my favourite score of all the Star Wars movies. Um, but, like, the soundtrack for this one just is... It's just, it's unique in a way that it's mm -hmm. got some very interesting pieces. I love the love theme. Um, I, mm -hmm. just the way they blend in sort of some of the old music with this, like, you know, Empire, uh, Imperial March, you know, we get a bit of Jewel of the Face, just so much mixture of it. And one thing I actually tying it into when I saw this at the movies, cause I saw it twice. I, I, I know at that point we had the new cinema, which had been a couple of years old, sort of just a five minute walk from my house, um, and kind of, 
because yeah, Phantom Menace we had literally one cinema in all of Hobart, and then by 2002 we had three. Um, so yeah, it was a lot easier for me to sort of walk down there, but I saw it twice. I don't remember things like lines or things like that or sort of anything along those lines, but I do really remember one thing, which I'm sure we'll talk about in this movie is the sound effects in this movie are very unique and amazing. And like one of my favorite ones, it blew me away. It just, I still remember watching the movies the first time going, holy fuck, that is incredible is the um, seismic charges on the asteroids. Like when they kind of like a boom and then there's just that noise. And mm-hmm. I remember seeing that the movies for the first time, I was like, wow. And that would be something I mentioned to you, how you'd get like the surround sound system sort of in your room on the DVD. And that was always a scene to test my surround sound. I would always skip to that scene just to hear the boing, <laughs> like as they blow up. So yeah, just little things like that, that I really remembered um, kind of standing out when you see this in the movies. And yeah, I, I think you're right. Like whether you like this movie or not, I think the entertainment factor you know, I think I mentioned in episode one last week that it, it goes by quickly and even the, quote, boring stuff is only on mm. screen for, like, 18 minutes. Yeah. Uh, this one, yeah, okay, it's got the, quote, boring talking in it again, but it's it's so much more spread out. And I think, like, just it goes from one scene to the next and it's just, it is thoroughly entertaining. And this is why I think, like, what Noah said, and I, I even tweeted out last night after watching this again, unpopular opinion but attack of the clones is such an underrated star wars movie it's mm-hmm. just and i will again just going into this as well stand by and defend the fact that this phantom menace rendences feel like star wars movies whereas you yeah. know force awakens and return of the jedi don't necessarily always feel like star wars movies so <laughs> anyway we're getting ahead of ourselves but yeah um with um so we might as well just jump in the movie here. Oh, hey, I just remembered. Casper <laughs> <laughs> starts crying, and you're like, hey, Casper, thanks for that. Um, did you have an IMAX? You said you only had, like, three theaters. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you have an IMAX? Oh, you probably no, don't still, still, still have still an IMAX. Still to this day, Hobart does not have an IMAX. I've never been to an IMAX in my life, so no. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I mean, nowadays, IMAX screens are in like every major theater in the world. But at this time, 2002, or I guess all the way up until maybe even, you know, around the time Avatar came out uh, a couple years after this, there were specific IMAX theaters and it was just one giant, you know, uh, amphitheater and there'd be a massive screen and they had projectors that could only play IMAX movies and they really exclusively did documentaries uh, because the IMAX cameras were so heavy and they made so much noise and everything and it just it wasn't you couldn't just film a movie um so with this this was the first movie the first hollywood movie that had a release they had a couple re-releases like the lion king and apollo 13 they'd done but this was the first time where a movie was released in imax at the same time it was released in theaters but because imax cameras and projectors are completely different you couldn't have a movie that was over two hours playing there so they had an IMAX cut of this that you could see in the theaters that includes a couple of little extra things that are included in the DVD and Blu-ray release, releases, particularly the, the end part of that scene where it's like to be angry is to be human. You know, things like that were included just on the IMAX release. But for the most part, they had 20 minutes cut out of this movie as well. So uh, when, when I say I saw this like 15 or 16 times, you know, I included a couple of the IMAX ones in there. But uh, you probably have never been able to see those. So no, um, it's it's I mean... I've I've seen like when I've been to museums, um, and I remember in Sydney, I think they maybe probably got the first one in Australia because it was like 
you go to this sort of touristy spot in uh, Sydney and there was like this big sign with IMAX. It just, but even I've never seen one in a in a museum or something like that. And it's just when I think I talked about this when we saw Justice League, they kind of were like experience in VMAX because like we have village cinemas here. So like I was thinking like, oh my God, that must be like the, the version. Like, cool, I'm going to go see it in that. There was nothing different about it. You just had comfier seats. Um, and I paid like an extra $10. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> um, so yeah, it's definitely you know, my goal to see a movie in IMAX, I really want to because, you know, it sounds amazing. But, yeah, Hobart still only has three cinemas, by the way. Well, three main ones, and then we have kind of the arty cinema place, which shows, you know, I don't know, art movies that aren't Star Wars. <laughs> so, although they will they will eventually show, like, they do pick up, like, the big blockbusters, you know, just as they're leaving the cinemas and you get them sort of for half price. So, yeah. Mm. Uh, well, the, there's a couple of little things I'll point out here where the IMAX cut didn't help the movie, but overall, I think it was a cool experience and just shows how th- much things have changed in 17 years now that this being the first real Hollywood movie that had an IMAX release had to be cut with 20 minutes out of the movie in order to even fit on IMAX. But um, let's jump into the movie here. So uh, the we have the opening crawl, uh, as usual in Star Wars, and I always have that same experience, and I can still, re- every time I see these movies, I can hear the screaming, because it was the same thing in Attack of the Clones, when when you have the bum, but then it starts, you just have the whole theater going nuts, and there's really no and experience like seeing Star same. Wars. Can just- I just point out, I, I pointed this out to Mallory last night, do you think it's not the same now that you don't have the like the 20th Century Fox, and it kind of yeah. fades into the Lucasfilm? Like, nowadays, it just it yeah, exactly. doesn't feel the same, like, bad robot, like, you know. <laughs> bad robot. Bad robot. Uh, what's wrong What's Ryan Johnson's thing? Bad movie. Bad movie. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, bad director. <laughs> did we re- did we read out the entire title uh, crawl in Phantom Menace? Are we doing that again? Sure, I've got it here. So why not? You got to You got to um, yell at the capitalization. And, and I think. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's what I'm excited about here. That's why I brought it up. <laughs> so we get the Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. There is unrest in the Galactic Senate. Several thousand solar systems. Declared their intentions to leave the Republic. This separatist movement, under the leadership of the mysterious Count Dooku, has made it difficult for the limited number of Jedi Knights to maintain peace and order in the galaxy. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Senator Amidala, the former Queen of Naboo, is returning to the Galactic Senate to vote on the critical issue of creating an <laughs> army of the Republic <laughs> to assist the overwhelmed Jedi. Can I just say first, like, Nothing will ever top the opening shot of A New Hope. Nothing will probably top the opening shot of Revenge of the Sith for different reasons. But of just the simple opening shots we get in all of the Star Wars movies, I think this is my favorite one. Like, because you get to see Coruscant and then you see, you know, the the Naboo ships coming into view and doing that flip. And you see all these little dots of all the ships. Like, it's, it's just a cool visual to see, like... You know, traffic control in space. Uh, I, I always love the opening shot of this, but basically Padme's ship is um, landing on Coruscant. We see what we think is Padme from behind. It may be Kira Knightley. That's maybe not Rose her Byrne. from behind. We don't know who. I know Padme from behind. That's <laughs> not Padme from behind. You can tell just from the back of her head, right? <laughs> the head, yes. That's exactly the part I'm looking at. The head. Um. But yeah, the, they say we're making our final approach to Coruscant. And of course, you hear Natalie Portman's voice. Very good, Lieutenant. And of course, does not match the decoy at all <laughs> later on. Uh, 
the ships all land in the fog, which again is a great visual. I just uh, one of the things that's coolest about Coruscant is that it's just a giant planet, one city, but yet it always looks different. They make find a way to make it look different in every shot. Like sometimes you get the sunset, sometimes you get it at night, sometimes you get it in fog. R two, of course, gets the first appearance in the movie, uh, and then you have Captain Typho, which uh, Jay Legay, as you yes. said. Here's something that's crazy. Like he's playing the technically the character Captain Typho is the nephew of Captain Panaka from the first movie. Hugh Corshi, who plays um, Captain Panaka in the first one, is only nine years older than Jay Legale. I thought this guy was like in his twenties, but he was like forty when this movie came out. As in Jay Legale, like this or man, all the, all the first guy. Yeah, Jay Legale. He, Jay Legale. He's like forty years old when he made this. movie. I love how you say Jay Legale. Which is crazy. That's funny. Uh, <laughs> Jay Legale. Legale. Look at me correcting Jay someone. Jay Legale. <laughs> but he. Jay Legale. Thing, I'm correct you on Hayden. <laughs> Christensen, don't you be Christensen? Uh, Say like a Canadian man. Sio Bubble, um, but it's he. I mean, he'd been because I don't know if I know I've talked to Noah a lot about this Australian TV show called Water Rats. I'm sure I've brought it up before. Uh, it was like this. I've heard show set in Sydney Harbour. They were like water police, basically. Um, and he was like a big star in that, and he'd been in lots of other things as well. But uh, you know, seeing him in this was awesome, and he just seems like such a nice guy. And then we had this Australian TV show called Play School, which is basically been going from the sixties. Every kid in Australia has seen Play School. It's just it's generally hosted by like this man and woman, and basically for half an hour they just play with soft toys and tell you how to make crafts and sing your nursery rhymes and shit. And a lot of the time, you'll get kind of like semi well known Australians will go on there and host it for a while. So. Jay Lagai was a host on Play School for a very long time. Then Home and Away, he ended up landing a role in Home and Away for a while. Um, so, yeah, he's just he's just such a solid actor in Australia. He's been doing the traps for a long time, and he just seems like such a genuinely nice person. He even sings. Like, he released a bunch of kids' albums, because I think when he was doing uh, Play School, they were like, hey, cool, let's get him to do this. But, uh, yeah, he's been around for a while as Jay Lagai. So, I mean, he's got to be nearly 60 now, doesn't he? Jesus. Yeah, well, hey, let's let's get him I on the show. I reckon we could. Like, I honestly <laughs> think he is somebody realistically that if I found the right people, we could probably get him on the show. Well, we've got a couple months to do it by next week. Yes, if that <laughs> makes any sense. <laughs> <laughs> the listeners out there. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but anyways, Jay Lagaio, <laughs> Jay Christensen, <laughs> Christensen, 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 Portman, <laughs> Portman. <laughs> Ewan McGregor, <laughs> Ewan and Hayden, <laughs> Luke Skywalker. Um, <laughs> say Bonnie PSC again, or whatever it was. PC, <laughs> Bonnie P's. Uh, anyways, Captain Typho. <laughs> uh, he's got a cool eye patch, so he's great. Uh, he actually does have a lot, like. I can see why he. I don't know if you're saying like he's a big star or whatever, but I'm kind of surprised he's not, you know, a bigger star outside of this because we see how some of the actors like Natalie Portman and Hayden Christensen, who let's give them a little bit of credit. They're, I think they're 18 or 19 years old when they're filming this movie, but some of the actors in this movie do struggle with the performances, and I think that Captain Typho is a lot of fun. Um, I think that Jay Lagaya <laughs> uh, has a lot of charisma. <laughs> Uh, so I like him, even just in this opening scene here. You know, he's like, there was no danger at all. And of course, you got to be suspicious because it's quite the feminine figure this uh, other pilot has. And for some reason, they're not removing their helmet. But then the ship blows up right after Typho says, there was no danger at all. 
Uh, and you get to see people fly. Sadly, there's a fireball that comes out, but nobody catches on fire. That would have been great. And uh, then Natalie Portman takes off the helmet. Oh, it's not Padme. Another big twist. We still are trying to figure out if Padme is Amidala from the first movie and who Kira Knightley is. So by the time he gets this movie, let's just throw another twist in there. Let's just pretend this is Kira Knightley or something. People got to be very confused. Uh, but she takes off and we realize this is her decoy, Corday. They all have A names too. Like, is this an Abu thing? Like Padme, Dorme, Corday. It's like um, Eastern Europe, how everyone's like, you know, a Donovich or a Mananovich and, you know, like certain, mm-hmm. well, certain, it's not just Eastern Europe, like, like certain parts. Krypton. Yeah, like um, L. certain parts of the world will have like a vowel at the end. Like, you know, the Greeks have a lot of that. Uh, the Scandinavians, you know, like a lot of Asian names kind of have that. So I guess it's kind of, maybe it's deliberate. Like you were saying that in Phantom Menace, how, you know, a lot of these racial stereotypes that people put down to, it's kind mm-hmm. of because George Lucas wanted to bring that level of diversity to the universe, so. Mm-hmm. And yet we don't have that with the males from Naboo, because, like, <laughs> Captain Panaka, Typhoid, yeah, it's just, like, a Bibble, Canadian. Bibble, Bibble, <laughs> <Jaja Binksay. Yeah. laughs> Well, they, they, that almost sounds like the way a Gungan would talk. Misa Jaja Binksay. <laughs> Canadian Gungans. <laughs> This is Padme, Seal Bibele, Typhoe, and Panake. We suffer from Nabue. <laughs> Senator Palpatine. Mm, that does not compute. Is he from Naboo? Dude, we haven't really covered this. Is Palpatine from Naboo? Or did he just pick some off-worlder no, to be their senator? I'm guessing he would be. This is what I was actually thinking about this movie. Like, little things that, like, Naboo just seems to get forgotten about because it's like, oh, it's the prequels. But you got to think about things. Luke and Leia's parents, well, half of them, are from Naboo. Uh, you know, I was thinking about, like, mm-hmm. Boba Fett. Like, Boba Fett's dad is killed by, well, he's not from Naboo, but, well, he's Mace Wind. No, he's not. He's from Mace Naboo. Um, like, yeah, the, the, <laughs> the Emperor from Naboo. Like, no, see, bring, yeah. hashtag bring back Naboo. Like... Yes. <laughs> and come on, Darth Plagueis. Yes, he must have been from Naboo. How else did he have found Darth Sidious? Yes, uh, exactly. We, we need Naboo Underworld television series coming soon. <laughs> uh, I do love the line. Some of the things when you actually have to sit there and write notes, you realize, uh, does this really make any sense? Like when Corday there, the decoy is dying, and she's like, "I'm sorry, I failed you, Senator." <laughs> Like, how did she fail her? She did a job. She did her job. <laughs> exactly. You're welcome. That's what the line should be. That's in the, uh, the how it should have ended on YouTube. They, I failed you, Senator. She's like, mm, actually, no, you did your job. Thanks. And then she just gets up and goes, <laughs> bye. <laughs> like, I mean, of course, just, racist Padme would have been like, it should have been you, Typho. <laughs> <laughs> Not one of my own. <laughs> I mean, did the Secret Service, like somebody that assassinate Donald Trump, did somebody do, no, it's like, I failed you, yes. Mr. Pre-. It's like, uh, no, you didn't. <laughs> like, that's your job. <laughs> Sad. We'll, we'll give give your family a nice grievance package. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> um, then we cut to the Jedi meeting with Palpatine in Palpatine's office. Now, there's a, a cool little cameo here of somebody I've I've met. There's we've mentioned how George Lucas, he'll, he'll take these background characters and he's like, I want a backstory for this character. I want them to have a name. I want them to have a backstory. And, uh, there's a whole bunch of Jedi, you know, uh, in the scene and a bunch of senators and, um, 
Mace Windu, Yoda, and Ki-Adi Mundi, of course, being the, the main ones that are in focus here. But in the background, you get Kit Fisto, who's the guy with the tentacles, who, you know, gets a big smile later on in the movie. And then you have these two female Jedis, Luminara and Barriss. And their characters were actually in the, I guess you would call it the prequel novel. They did something with both Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, where a novel was released maybe about a month before the movie that would include some backstory. And... This novel, The Approaching Storm, I remember getting, well, it would have been, I guess, two months at least, because I got it for my birthday, uh, hardcover, like brand new, two months before the movie came out. And I read this book, and it's basically the story of when in this scene they talk about, you know, Obi-Wan just coming back from a border dispute on Anseon. It's basically that mission, and the other two Jedi characters are these two female Jedi you see in this scene here. Uh, and both of them, of course, have gotten, you know, episodes of the Clone Wars, and the younger one, Barris, who's in the background, uh, she appeared at a Comic-Con here the same year that we had the guy that plays Admiral Akbar and Watto, who I said last week, you know, every time I went to go meet him, he happened to be in the bathroom or <laughs> on lunch or something like that. But I did get to talk to this girl who plays Barris, who, of course, is just that she's just a model that they hired to say, wear this costume. You're going to get to hold a lightsaber in a few shots. You're just a background character. And she really knows nothing about Star Wars. She was super nice. Uh, but, you know, she's saying, like, I, I actually haven't done conventions. And then suddenly I just realize hey you can you know make money and meet you have lots of fans out there even though they don't even know what you do for a living because you're just in star wars and you know i was mentioned earlier you know your character actually had two novels of her own and she's like yeah i'm like have you read them it's like no i haven't read them but i know of them and then i'm like oh yeah and you know that your character had like this big story arc especially in like the fifth season of the clone wars like she was one of the main characters "Uh uh-huh yeah i know (laughs) i'm like okay so i mean you know oh you know i haven't seen the episodes but i want to watch them (laughs) she's just one of those people who like all these Star Wars nerds come up to her all the time and are like, did you know on page 17 of the novel about you that your boyfriend said that you're beautiful and I totally agree with him? And she's like, yeah, I know. It's like, God, fifth time today. <laughs> and I, I I was trying hard not to be one of those fans because I actually do know quite a bit about her character, Barra Sophie. <laughs> uh, but uh, she basically was saying like, she just, this was like a couple years ago, right before The Force Awakens came out. And she's like, you know, I'm, this is literally like my first year of ever doing these conventions. This is a different experience. um, (laughs) Well, I'm hoping if she's still doing them, that maybe some of the recommendations I gave her, she's reading her novels and watching her episodes. She comes back to deliver the Winnipeg. Where's that guy? Where's that guy who said, I remember (laughs) you. Yes, you were right. It was amazing. Thank you. People keep asking me about the episodes with Ahsoka in season six. Just tell me what happens. And now I'm in I need to episode smart. nine. They've signed me on. <laughs> yeah. Which, that same one, I'll, I'll just mention it now because I'll probably forget it later. But that's they hadn't even released it publicly that Admiral Akbar was coming back in Force Awakens. And when I was medium, I was just asking him about, you know, Re- Return of the Jedi. And uh, some of the other movies he'd been in, like some Jin Henson ones, like Return to Oz and stuff. And uh, then I'm like, you know, do you think you'll you'll actually be able to come back for any of these sequels that are coming out? And he goes, I'm in the next one. And I looked online and nobody had found him. I think this guy, he's going to get like a cease and desist order. because He's not supposed to be talking about this. Yeah, some of these people, some of these minor characters are actually really fun if you meet them. I was when we go through these movies, I'll... Within a stories. meter of the guy who played Admiral Ackbar, the Comic-Con I went to where I wasn't allowed to talk to anyone, I'm kind of, I was just like... <laughs> so, like, I've, I've stood within, like, breathing distance of him and William Shatner and Carrie Yules and the uh, two of the original charmers at Shannon Doherty and Holly Marie Combs. So, yeah, I've been there. I was near Tia Carrera. She walked past me. Um, but, yeah, I just you, it was, like, really restrictive. It was dumb. I didn't like it, so... I just went there, interviewed people dressed in Star Wars, and yeah. stared at celebrities. 
I'm just gonna say the guy who plays uh, Admiral Akbar is like one of the funniest people I've ever talked to. So like some of these minor characters are fun if you do get to meet them. But anyways, back to the movie here. <laughs> so uh, a lot of stuff happens in the scene. You know, they're mentioning um, uh, the the separatist movement here and uh, um, the. Padme, I guess the Loyalist Committee comes in. They're trying to sense what's going on, but you know the dark side clouds everything. So they bring in the Loyalist Committee, which again, there's more expanded information from the novels that Palpatine kind of appointed the senators that were most loyal to the Republic not splitting up with the separatist movement, and Padme's on this, and we get Jimmy Smith's as Bail Organa, oh. which this is a huge deal to get Jimmy Smith's in this movie. Um, and this is, I'm going to say... My mom did like like the Star Wars movies. Uh, you know, she saw I think the Phantom Menace. You know, once it came out on video or whatever. But I one hundred percent believe that she wanted to be there for the opening showing of this movie just for Jimmy Smith's because I think there were three guys that my mom was like absolutely in love with the way that Ben is Natalie Portman um, and Kevin Bacon. Uh, <laughs> not Kevin Bacon, my mom. Kevin Bacon for Ben. Absolutely. But, uh, my mom's three guys were George Clooney, Eric Bana, and Jimmy Smith. And, like, she would turn into a teenage girl when she saw Jimmy Smith's. Uh, so Who doesn't? I'm going to credit <laughs> I mean, I do. <laughs> I don't know about you. <laughs> but, I mean, I, who doesn't love Jimmy Smith's? I mean, there's, there's a TV show he was on called Sons of Anarchy, which I've always avoided watching. And you know, my brother told me, like, well, the show's really good. And Jimmy Smith's comes in in season six. I'm like, oh, can I just jump to season six to see Jimmy Smith's? He's so good. And uh, he does bring, like, uh, a little bit of elegance to this movie, despite the fact he's American. Like, he seems he seems almost British. Despite uh, the fact he's American. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, it's just, it, to me, it feels weird to have, you know, one of the senators speak, because we haven't seen that. Because Padme, when she's in the Senate, is still like, uh, I will not allow a course of action that would lead us to <laughs> war. Darling. <laughs> yes. Uh, but Jimmy Smith is just like, hey, how's it going, Palpatine? <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's just, it's a little unusual. Up, I mean, dude? He's playing Jimmy Smith. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's cool to have him in the movie anyways. Um, so they're mentioning about, you know, who could be behind this attack on Padme's life. And, uh, you know, they're saying, I think she's saying it, it must be Count Dooku. And even Mace Windu's like, Count Dooku was once a Jedi. He couldn't have done this. <laughs> He's only trying to split up the Republic. Why would he do something so bad as trying to kill you? I love you? the evil eyes uh, Padme gives Mace Windu too. It's kind of like, you know, he was a yeah. Jedi. And she just kind of looks at him and like, fuck you. I don't like the color of your skin. Like, what? that's racist Padme. <laughs> Give some credit here to Natalie Portman. Oh, hang on, hang on. Stop, um, everyone, stop. Everyone, shut up. Colin's giving credit to Natalie Portman. I stand by the fact that when you listen to her recite lines, there is nobody who sounds more robotic and more wooden <laughs> and more lifeless than Natalie Portman in these movies, including, like, do you have any idea who is behind this attack? I think Count Dooku is. This, I look. It's just, it's terrible. But here's the but. Oh. She has great facial reactions to everything in this movie, most of which is when she looks really horny for Hayden Christensen. But otherwise, even in this scene, like you mentioned it, she's got really solid reactions that give a good performance there. So as long as she shuts up, she's not a bad actress. Everyone's horny Agreed? for Hayden Christensen. Um, that's like, there, there's, <laughs> look, there's definitely bits in this movie where I'm not going to defend her, but there are actually at least two or three scenes, though, which I'm going to be intrigued to see what you think, because... There are actually some really good 
acting moments from her in this movie, which I think, I don't know if ever gets credited for. But, like, I think, to me, it just seems like she has a problem acting with, like, green screen or, like... I'm not saying Samuel Jackson's green screen. Maybe he was. I don't know. <laughs> but, like, there are definitely moments where she just seems to struggle acting with that are not there. Um, and, like, yeah. it's well, there is a scene with Ewan McGregor in this movie, too, which, as much as you love Ewan McGregor, there's definitely a moment where you're kind of like, oh, God, like, that's pretty stale. Um, like, we'll get to it. But, I, yeah, there's definitely some moments in this I can't dis- I can't disagree with you when you say she's a bit like a plank of wood. But a very... She and, and again, is so I'm hot just... in this movie. I'm sorry, Con. Come on. <laughs> I know you don't like her, but you're a man. Like, you got to... Uh, she is absolutely more... beautiful in this okay, movie. There is nothing wrong with this woman physically. Even Jamie asked when we watch this movie, he's like, you don't find her hot? And I'm like, I mean, if she never opened her mouth, maybe. <laughs> it's just... There's something about her personality that's such a turnoff for me, like, outside and even in her movies. Like, I don't like her as an actress. Physically, if she had somebody else's personality, she's a ten. But it's just Hayden personality, personality is like a, a negative five. Jimmy Smith's personality, yeah, exactly. Or Jimmy Smith, yeah. <laughs> Christopher Lee's, you know, hey, the guy who played Portman. Admiral Akbar. If she had Admiral Akbar's personality, I mean, then there's my girl, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but you talk about the reactions. We get to see CGI Yoda for the first time here, mm. and I don't remember what you, you know what your reaction. I don't remember what Ben's reaction was. <laughs> oh, thanks, Colin. <laughs> but uh, some friend you are. Um, <laughs> but I, I, my reaction, like when I saw this, like because you saw little bits and pieces in the trailers, but just seeing him perform, it really isn't that distracting. But you get just that little bit. It's not even like a huge jump. You get just that little bit more emotion out of him. And uh, performance that you don't get out of even the puppet and Empire. So I'll never criticize. I mean, I I love the puppet Yoda like everybody else. But I love this one just as much. And I think for this movie, because Yoda has such a pivotal role in this one and the next one dramatically, there was – I mean, it was 100% the right decision to do a CGI. And it wasn't just as simple as Lucas saying, oh, let's do a CGI. It was actually the animators having to sell it on him. And there's a great documentary on the the DVD, which is all about creating Yoda digitally. And you can see they spent months basically recreating the scene from Empire, shot for shot, you know, eye rays and and blink for blink and and every nuance digitally. And George Lucas was the one that they had to sell on this. And eventually he's like, you know, I think we can make this work. But they knew that they had to do CGI somehow. But he gives a great performance. And his look to Palpatine, one of those little things that I'm like, I think maybe when Mallory gets to Revenge of the Sith, she's going to be like, it's this guy. And then she'll go back and watch these movies. and goes, hmm, Yoda does look at him kind of weird there. But, I mean, even if you just watch Palpatine's scenes in this movie, he always is up to something. But it's not done so obvious that somebody who hadn't seen the movies wouldn't get it like here he's like you know oh maybe an old friend like master kenobi like he's putting the pieces together without anybody realizing it but i do have to wonder he says an old friend like master kenobi i don't think we mentioned this in phantom menace but padme and obi-wan have one line of dialogue to each other in the whole movie and it's when they're preparing for battle obi-wan's like uh, what if the viceroy returns with another droid army she goes well that's why we must not fail to catch the viceroy that's the only time they speak or even make eye contact in the entire movie and suddenly he's an old friend. I don't quite understand well, come that. on, Colin. We um, know they had a secret affair because they had to create Ray somehow. So, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. 
I mean, Rage would only be yeah, about that's... 50, but, like, hey, it's Star Wars. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she ages really well. <laughs> like, unlike Aunt, Bo- Aunt Baru and Aunt, uh, Uncle Owen, who age terribly in, like, 20 years. <laughs> yes. Yes. And Obi-Wan, for yes. that matter. Um, but I just love when, when uh, Palpatine's like, the thought of losing you is unbearable. Like, it's hammy, but it's great. Uh, and then we get the introduction to Anakin and Obi-Wan. This is one of those scenes that was cut from the IMAX release that I just remember watching. Like, I love watching this on a big screen, but it's just awkward to immediately cut to, not even when they open the door, but just later on when it's like uh, Obi-Wan's just saying, oh, our presence here will be invisible. There's a huge sequence cut out because I think it's important to establish Anakin and Obi-Wan's camaraderie here, this rapport they have. And you know, Hayden Christensen and Ewan McGregor have good chemistry together for guys who are reciting some bad dialogue. Mm-hmm. And I love this little thing. I was like, you filmed the nightmare and I rescued you. I love the relationship between these two guys because they do play off like he's the mentor, but he's more friendly than Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan would have been. Um, and then we get them walking into, uh, oh, before they walk in, the part that always cracked me up and still does, it's like the older brother trying to embarrass the younger brother. Where he looks at Anakin and goes, "You're sweating. <laughs> <laughs> you just think of it. I can put on some deodorant. I man. can see your Japor snippet. <laughs> Close your room. Um, but- <laughs> <laughs> There's ladies present. <laughs> um, but when we get upstairs, we get uh, the introduction. Jar Jar opens a door for him, and I love he calls him Obi. Obi. <laughs> Obi. <laughs> Um, Misa, so excited to see you, you saw. I want Obi to go, oh, shit. Hello, Jar Jar, how are you? <laughs> but when he introduces Obi-Wan and Anakin to Padme again, he's speaking more eloquently. This was a deleted subplot that was all over the original script that they filmed, and it's still in, like, the novelizations and everything, where Jar Jar was trying to be taught how to speak properly like a real senator, which is why you have a scene later on where he's almost struggling to come up with like proper words and here's like uh misa palos are here looky looky senator disa jedi <laughs> but there are all these little bits and pieces of scenes where he be like, oh, oh 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 hold on uh may i present <laughs> his honorable obi <laughs> that's kind of the way this was originally written uh and then we get the awk the first awkward i love anakin like people knock you know anakin because he's whiny but to me, this is a 19-year-old boy, and this is Luke's father. Luke was whiny. And so when they have this thing where he's like, you know, you've grown more beautiful. They, uh, for a senator, I mean. <laughs> you know, in, the, in the way that Jimmy Spitz is such a handsome man. <laughs> um, and, and then, you know, he, he sort of backpedals. And then when they're uh, talking about, uh, oh, we're gonna, we're here to protect you and everything. And Anakin's like, we'll, we'll find your killer. And Obi-Wan's like, no, we won't, Anakin. Yes, we will, master. <laughs> Like, I love these two guys together. So, sure, it's just a fun movie, but again, so is A New Hope. And I think the the, the the bickering here is great, and Anakin being put in his place. I mean, it feels like what a teenage boy would be told by his master. So, I have no problem with this. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll go through the speeder chase here. So, I'll just speed through some of the other stuff here. Uh, there's, there's one of the awkward moments when Obi-Wan's telling off Anakin. They cut to Jar Jar, and he just has, like, this mm. uncomfortable gulp, like, <laughs> which is fun. <laughs> Uh, Great acting by Ahmed Best. And then like, he really nailed that goal. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, and he's also uh, very beautiful for a oh. senator, should we say? <laughs> and he's a man who doesn't age. When, when his yeah, when his top gets ripped off <laughs> in one of the deleted scenes, all the girl gungans went crazy. People always talk about Kylo um, Ren being shirtless, but when Jar Jar was shirtless, woof. Ooh. 
Yummy. Oh, Twelve uh, packs. So let's let's pick all the bad lines out here, and we should have a count to see who has the worst <laughs> lines in the movie, uh, both dialogue and performance. But I'm going to put up the first really bad one here. Uh, perhaps with merely your presence, the mystery surrounding this will be revealed. Now, excuse me, I will retire. <laughs> what is that? Oh, you missed it. I, I, I love pointing this out to Mallory with the, uh, you'll still just be that little boy on the boo. Yeah, by the end of the movie, you're going to be fucking this guy, uh, Padme. Like. Yes. <laughs> You'll always be, when you're conceiving your children, oh, Anakin, you're just like that little boy I knew on Tatooine. This is what really makes Padme such an interesting character to me because, like, A, she's, like, saying lines at that. Later on, she's turned on by sand, and then later on she's turned by on by Anakin killing women and children. I hate them! <laughs> she's like, oh, do me, Anakin! Oh, talk about sand! <laughs> but do it like a little boy would on that boo. <laughs> Give me your Japor snippet. Give it to me! <laughs> Yeah, a little bit awkward. Anakin gets to be equally awkward here, too, which is great. Um, I do like Anakin's sulking here. She hardly recognized me. And George's like, she's a happier than I've seen her in a long time. She has one smile in the scene. Like, how miserable is Padme? Is she just, like, berating and, and, and all of her, her servants and peasants where this is the happiest she's been? Like, I want to see really angry Padme just telling off Captain Typho and I hate you. spewing out I racial hate <laughs> Racial Gungan slurs to Jar Jar. Like, how do you call... You used to call me the G-word, Padme! <laughs> totally not a... She's happy because it's the first white guy that showed up in her life in a long time. She's like, oh, thank God. White people. It's him Palpatine. <laughs> That's why she loves it. She's like, oh, Eddie, come back to me. <laughs> Well, that's why she's happy to see her old friend. It's been far too long, Master Kenobi. Ooh, younger model. <laughs> well, when she's later on talking about, like, oh, like her last boyfriend was when they were 12. Oh, yeah. It's like, <laughs> like what? Like, he left me and did this. Like, you were 12. Like, <laughs> she's still getting over it. <laughs> I think Padme's racist um, and a pedophile. Like, I mean. <laughs> She's the most inappropriate character in movie history. <laughs> no wonder, like, Leia and Luke have such, you know, issues going on. It's all about, they all blame Darth Vader. Like, you know, like, never yeah, you blame the mother. They're, they're incests all on Padme. I'm saying it now. <laughs> uh, we get introduced to Django and Zam Wessel, the other bounty hunter here, which... Uh, I mentioned the character that's sort of in the background, the pod race, Aura Singh. This was really supposed to be her character. Maybe they changed it because he wanted a character that could change the physical appearance, or he just figured, uh, I don't want to run in a situation where this character is so built up from one shot in the last movie that people are going to be let down. Uh, but obviously they're going to be assassinating her with this giant bug that's very poisonous. Uh, we get back into the uh, the apartment. Obi-Wan's coming in. He's talking about the security downstairs. Uh, Anakin saying, oh, she covered the cameras. I don't think she'd like me watching her. Um, like, were these part of security or did she like catch Anakin while she was like, you know, brushing her teeth, you know, putting up like a webcam on the dresser. And she's like, no, Anakin, consent first. Hand in his robe. <laughs> um, so do you want to just wear this Chapur snippet and nothing else before bed? I'm covering those cameras. But... The idea here is that Anakin's using her as bait, uh, which Obi-Wan's not... He's not opposed to it, but he's not too happy. And he goes, your senses aren't that attuned. And he goes, oh, yours are? And Obi-Wan's like, possibly. I love Obi-Wan having a bit of arrogance here, too. Uh, 
And then uh, we get a couple of shots of R2 as the security in Padme's room. I wonder how she gets up to go to the bathroom because she's got all these security beams on the floor. <laughs> like, if I'm half asleep in the middle of the night, I'm thinking, I better disarm my carpet. I really got to pee. <laughs> I'm hoping she sets she's this She's wearing off at a some nappy. Point. <laughs> she's wearing a Chapor snippet under that, too. <laughs> For many different reasons. Uh, <laughs> We found out Anakin has some sleep issues uh, because of his mother. We also found out he has a lot of hormones. <laughs> He's uh, pretty open about these with uh, Obi-Wan. He's like, you made a commitment to the Jedi Order, a commitment not easily broken. And then they get in the conversation about politicians, which is really fun if you listen closely enough to hear their conversation when it cuts into Padme's room as the, the, the droid is you know basically cutting through the window and putting these killer snails or whatever it is in Padme's room. Their conversation about politics is actually quite important in the whole series where uh, they're talking about uh, Palpatine especially. He goes, you're generalizing. The Chancellor doesn't appear to be corrupt. And then Obi-Wan says that, like, in the background, I've observed he's very clever in following the passions and the prejudice of the senators. Basically, he is a politician and Anakin doesn't buy it. So we get Anakin and Palpatine's relationship here being introduced. Um, when they're in the middle of their argument – uh, the bug's about to attack Padme, and then they both are like, I sense it too! <laughs> and they're like, uncover the cameras! She's taking off her top! Is that what they're sensing? <laughs> they go straight to the screen. Cool, like, oh, look at her, Japor snippet! And it's like, oh no, false senses again! She's still clothed! Uh, what were their senses here? But Anakin just jumps on her bed, chops his bug in half. You gotta wonder, Padme, the last memory she had was this creepy teenage boy... <laughs> hiding webcams in her room and she goes to bed and then she wakes up and he's hovering over her with a giant laser sword what's going through her mind at this point she's not thinking it must be another bug attack she's thinking like, about... she's thinking anakin's about here yeah anakin's about here to unleash his Japor snippet that's what she's thinking i'm thinking she's hoping that he's uh on top of her with another laser sword in front of her face so <laughs> but like how what, well, not yet what if she flinched or something a... what if she like at that point like, like, huh, and, like you know and, like oh there he goes ahead <laughs> Then, <laughs> <laughs> um, anyways, the the droid they see it, they leave. Obi Wan jumps straight out the window, which is awesome. That was one of the coolest shots in this movie. Was Obi Wan hanging off that thing? Anakin runs downstairs. We get uh, the first real line from Rose Byrne, who's of course way more successful than Natalie Portman now, which is crazy. We got Joel Edgerton and Rose Byrne in here, who both went on to bigger and better things than Natalie Portman and Hayden Christensen. Well, uh, and we get Anakin. What do you mean, well? I, I don't see she Rose Burns Oscar. Well, she's obviously making bigger, better movies than Natalie Portman. And when was the last time Natalie Portman did anything released theatrically? That one where she was a singer? Uh, <laughs> she's playing that astronaut I'm still, soon. I'm still waiting for that to come to Netflix here. <laughs> Rose, Rose Burns married to Bobby Cannavale, so she's more successful in that aspect. I'd rather be married to Bobby Cannavale than that stupid Benjamin guy Natalie Portman's married to. The only thing she did right was it chose the right name. Ooh, I'm a dancer. Shut up, Benjamin. Can we uh, just do a little experiment here before moving on? Uh, actually, no, we'll do the experiment later, but I'll just quickly cover the scene here. So we get this amazing action scene, which I think is... In my opinion, the best action sequence of the movie, uh, which is the speeder chase, it's also cool if you look at Anakin's pod, his or a speeder here. It's basically modeled after his pod. It's the same colors. It's got those little engines on the front and everything. Uh, Obi-Wan gets shot down by Zam, so he's flying, falling through the air. Anakin catches him. 
they have some really great scenes together, which was, of course, in all the trailers. Um, this is also my favorite music in the whole movie because it just sounds like you said, it sounds different. This you got like these drums, like this percussion for a lot of this, and it's just like this really unnerving, like music. It sounds like something out of like psycho that sound, which is like it, it, wow, like that weed noise it plays throughout it. Yeah, like this is, I think, a 10 minute track on the soundtrack, but. It's usually for a 10-minute track, I'm like, oh, I'll skip this. But it's just awesome. Uh, when they're going through the, the speeders and everything, there's one moment where we see a Doug, just like Sabalba, who goes, Jedi Poodoo! Poodoo! <laughs> 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 uh, you do wonder why neither of them put on their seatbelts. Yeah, uh, and they how they actually fall out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we get our first line about Yoda actually operating a lightsaber, which, of course, nobody knew. There was speculation, but there was no confirmation Yoda would have a lightsaber here. And, uh, you know, Obi-Wan talking about Anakin being arrogant. He says, you know, uh, you, you, if you, you know, practice your saber techniques as much as you do your wit, you'd rival Master Yoda as a swordsman. He goes, I thought I already did. It's like, only in your mind, my very young apprentice. <laughs> These guys are great together. Like, I don't care what anybody says. Like, I love the dialogue between them. I love their performances. Um, they think they lost Zam. Uh, there's some stuff here where they fly through an industrial district. They get zapped by the power couplings, which was another really fun moment. It's like, stay away from the power couplings. And then I love Obi-Wan after that was good. (laughs) (laughs) There actually is some good humor in this movie. Um, they eventually lose Zam when she's going through a tunnel because Anakin took a shortcut. Uh, Obi-Wan's like, she went completely the other way. <laughs> and then Anakin's just like, if you'll excuse me, dives out of there. And Obi-Wan's like, I hate it when he does that. As if he's done this a million times. So much fun. Anakin catches on to Zam speeder like 500 feet below after diving through the air. Uh, there's a fight on top of the speeder. Uh, the speeder crashes. Obi-Wan ends up being just behind them as she runs into this club. Uh, and... Uh, once Obi-Wan meets him outside the club, you know, he realizes Anakin lost his lightsaber. He goes through the whole, this weapon is your life, which is something we mentioned George Lucas intended in the first movie when uh, Obi-Wan crashed in the swamp and his lightsaber was burnt out, which is why he's not using it when they meet Jar Jar. Uh, but this is something he wanted to carry over in this movie, which happens again and again. Uh, and then we get the, the great line, which got a huge laugh in the theater each time I saw it. Why do I get the feeling you're going to be the death of me? <laughs> Mallory turned to me because I laughed. And Mallory turned to me and goes, is he? And I sort of was like, yeah. I, I just couldn't deny. I was just like, yeah, kind of. Yes. <laughs> She's like, I felt that was too obvious. Or- <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but this is like a sports club. So you actually have pod racing on the wall, which is, I remember them saying, is pod racing going to return in an interview in Georgia? Because it's sort of, you'll have to look closely, but there will be a pod race in there. Um, nobody here seems to be watching the sports. They're all just drinking and talking. There's no music or anything. This seems like the most boring club in the world. Uh, favorite, but you get these two. Favorite, sorry, I'm just going to say one of my favorite scenes in all of Star Wars is about to happen in this club. <laughs> you want to buy some death sticks? Death sticks? <laughs> <laughs> I love you that guy. <laughs> and that, that guy's. Do you know he's from the Matrix? You probably do because you're Australian, oh, right? He's the, uh, isn't he the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who you're talking about. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I want to go home and reaching my And life. again, like. <laughs> Small performance, but like really funny. It's like the way he sells that, you know, uh, I don't want to sell you this. Thing, so I want to go home, man. Rethink my... Like he has the look on his face, like what is happening to me and what's coming out of my mouth. Great. I want the spin off. Uh, like, you know, like we're talking about the Austin Powell movies where they get there and they're like, you know, they, once he's getting crushed by the steamroller, they cut back to like, you know, no one ever thinks about the life of a, the wife of a henchman. Like, I want to see this yeah. guy going back home and sitting on his bed going, Man, what am I going to do with my life? <laughs> and then, like, yeah. <laughs> turns around, he goes into an employment agency the next morning. 
hey there, I want to rethink my life. I want to become a, a, a janitor or something well, like that. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I want to I flip it the other way around. It's like Obi-Wan wasn't specific enough in his mind trick. What if he goes home and says, I don't want to sell distics. I want to give them away for free. <laughs> <laughs> like Robot Chicken did some really funny stuff around kind of little moments. Did they ever do one about the Destics guy coming home? <laughs> where's, where's the solo story on Destics guy? <laughs> Destic. He's Darth uh, Maul's Darth- right hand man. <laughs> He's Snoke. He's Snoke. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna go home and rethink my life. <laughs> I will take over the galaxy and turn Han Solo's son. <laughs> I would lose my shit in episode nine. Thanks, Obi Wan. <laughs> episode nine, the big reveal. <laughs> Obi Wan, remember that time you went into a club and that guy sold you Destic? <laughs> yes. He is Snoke. <laughs> Think of the endless possibilities with this guy. Like, we never got his name. What if his name is, like, I don't know, Jimmy Tarkin? And in the next movie, he, go, he goes home and rethinks it's like, I want to blow up Alderaan. <laughs> Genocide. Better than Death Stick. You want to rule the galaxy? <laughs> I love that guy so much. I love the way he, like, spins around his fingers. And he's like, I want to go home and rethink yeah. my life. <laughs> I don't know why. What if he got like so? What, I just want to see him like so passionate about this. He's on the way. It's like everybody drop your death sticks. <laughs> He's like, it's oh, wrong. Everyone, everyone, now. I hate you all. Stop selling them. <laughs> the next day on the news, there's like a news story. Crazed gunman <laughs> takes over death stick factory, holds sixty hostages. <laughs> death stick addiction has dropped dramatically overnight after one man decided to make it his mission to stop selling them. I just really wanted to stop selling them. I just wanted to go home and rethink my life. I don't know why. I just did. I just really did. So everyone out there, please stop selling them. They're dangerous. <laughs> and rethink your life, <laughs> everyone. Let's rethink your life, everyone. It's a trap. Rethink your life. <laughs> oh wow uh, <laughs> biggest talking point of the episode rethink my life <laughs> um so i guess what happens here we get something that i picked up on i don't know my fourth or fifth viewing of this movie there's these two girls that seem to continually be recycled in this like they walk past them when they're in the entrance they walk past them again when they're walking around the room it was like they said we need a couple of shots here everybody's gonna be aliens we got these two human girls they keep appearing in the same shot over and over again. There's like a POV shot that Anakin has when he's searching the club and they're like eyeing him up hard. Like, you know, like, like Padme does later in the movie. The mm, as Anakin <laughs> walks past. But if you pay attention, it's the same girls that apparently he's walked past six times already. <laughs> uh, we also get a couple of cool cameos in here, which I'm not sure if you're aware of. Yeah, Anthony, uh, Anthony, there's Anthony. one point where uh, Ahmed Best yeah. is there next to George Lucas's daughter and then uh, Anthony Daniels, of course, is you know, one of the guys at the bar uh, after Obi-Wan cuts off Zam's arm, which, of course, will uh, be something he's <laughs> very familiar with, dismembering people. <laughs> like, if this is his reputation on his gravestone, it's like, uh, trained the Dark Lord of the Sith, loved cutting off arms. <laughs> this is just Obi-Wan's fetish, apparently. Well, it's a trope in um, Star Wars, isn't it? They're basically every movie, isn't there, like, a certain amount of limbs, limbs that get chopped off? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, George Lucas loves the way I love people burning. George <laughs> Lucas loves people losing limbs. Uh, so after Zam tries to sneak up on Obi Wan and he gets the jump on her and cuts off her arm, they take her outside for an interrogation. Anakin gets to play both good cop and bad cop here, which is great. It's like, 
Who hired you? Tell us. Tell us now! <laughs> I hate you! <laughs> I hate all of you! Now tell me! Stinking changelings! <laughs> I'll kill everyone! And... Your women! Your children! <laughs> You're They're sad. all one person. They're changelings. You're sad! <laughs> You're death sticks! <laughs> you just horse it. I'll shove it right up there! I'm haunted by the answer you didn't give me! <laughs> um, but just as she gets, there is a bounty hunter named Big Shot from Above, Sniper, must be Django Fett. <laughs> and Zam's dead. Toxic Dart. And we'll cap it there. I think that's like 20 minutes of the movie, but seems appropriate. Group it all together. Um... I mean, I feel like I've commented a lot on the way there, but yeah, like, it, yeah, Corday at the beginning. I failed you. No, you didn't. We've gone over that. Um, I do love this opening shot too. Like, again, the sound of that. I remember in the cinema, actually, that kind of, like, as it flies, it's like a Chewbacca ship, apparently. Um, but, oh, you talk about CGI Yoda. Like, I do remember seeing that for the very first time because, of course, 2002, we hadn't had uh, the... Phantom Menace DVD yet either had because DVDs are fairly new so we hadn't seen um, we'd only we're used to Puppet Yoda in episode one weren't we so uh, yeah it was a I don't think I was like disappointed but it was kind of a bit of a shock you kind of like oh that looks a bit odd um, because you just you're used to seeing Puppet Yoda but I mean obviously now in hindsight it's you're just used to it because they've kind of re-edited episode one I think one thing to talk about throughout this film is that a lot of people give this film shit because they say the special effects, it's just all filmed in front of a green screen and basically nothing holds up. Okay, there are a few moments that, yeah, you would argue don't hold up brilliantly, but I also would say it's not as bad, I think, as people seem to say it is. And I don't know if that's just because on re-releases and that on Blu-rays, they've kind of touched it up a little bit maybe, but there are definitely moments where people are critical of it, which it really doesn't look that bad. Um, so I don't see particularly why people go so much off it. Uh, you talk when we, you know, what's hypocritical about that too. Mm. The same people who criticize say, Oh, these effects just look like it gets blue screen. It doesn't hold up. Those are the same people that get upset when George Lucas removes the really bad blue screen effects of the Rancor and Luke fight in return of the Jedi. Yeah. Like they go back and correct that. It's like, I want to see the original version where it looks bad. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny. I was reading a thing actually about how kind of people are always crying out for the original theatrical releases of like the start of the original. And like, I can understand that. Like you grow up, you see something, you know, you want to see it your way, but I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about it when we get to the original trilogy. I'm definitely an advocate for a majority of the changes that they made because I think with the prequels, it's important to keep them looking similar enough to believe it that, you know, these are chronological the way they are. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to talk about some of that. Uh, you're talking about facial acting like with Natalie Portman. I always love staring at Rose Byrne in the background in this scene when she first comes. She looks so bored. Like, Rose Byrne literally, like, so many points, he's like, oh, my God, why am I signed up to this? Why have I signed up to well, this? Well, she's not even doing it. Like, her job is to impersonate Padme. And here it's like, okay, just stand next to me and be yourself. What am I supposed to do? I don't know how to be myself. Can I just pretend I'm you? She's doing the uh, Joey from Friends smell the fart acting or kind of the, the arithmetic thing in his head where he's trying to like <laughs> think about it. Um, I love Rose Bird. Like to, to go back to your point about her going to be like I said, more commercially successful, I would say now, yes, than Natalie Portman. But I just I love Rose Byrne because I was a huge fan of the TV show Damages, which she was in. Um, I love the fact that she's married Bobby Cannavale and I love Bobby Cannavale. 
Um, and I just, I don't know, Rose Byrne is just somebody who I've always liked. She's, she's one of these Australian actors who I feel like she did a few things in Australia, but she kind of made her way in America more so than she did in Australia. Whereas kind of, you know, like, a, you know, Hugh Jackman, Chris Hemsworth sort of did a lot in Australia before they made it big. So, I, you know, she took a different route, but I also, yeah, I just, I like Rose Byrne. She seems like a genuine person as well. So, and I, again, going back to the casting, like, there's just so many good people in this movie. Um... I love, like, I 100% agree with you. The, the bromance between Anakin and uh, Obi-Wan is, I feel very underrated. Because, like, this movie obviously is all about kind of the love story. And, mm-hmm. you know, next movie it's all about Anakin, you know, turning. But I just think there are so many moments between these two. And I think that's important to sell that because you need to ultimately get to this point where Obi-Wan and Anakin are going to battle each other and Anakin's going to turn evil. And, you know, you need that last battle between them to have significance about it. So I think kind of it's great that they build this up. And I love that elevator scene where they're talking about, you know, what they've been through and kind of just a little laugh that Obi gives and things like that. Um, And what's really interesting about all the hate that Hayden Christensen gets, it's... He, he, we talk about having chemistry. Like, what movie were we talking about where, like, it was an Arnold Schwarzenegger, wasn't it, or something like that. It's like everyone has chemistry with them. It doesn't matter who they are. Like, it's just kind Mm -hmm. of... I think Hayden Christian is almost like one of those people because he kind of has yeah. that with Obi. And the, the thing with him and Padme, which I think gets very underrated in this movie, like when they meet, yeah, it's a bit awkward and yeah, there's some bad line delivery and, you know, sort of we get this whole, you know, don't look at me like that, it makes me uncomfortable. I think what really develops well in this movie is at the beginning, it is kind of awkward between the two of them. You kind of do feel like Padme's mm-hmm. a bit like, ugh, like, you know, you were 12, now you're old, yeah. like, whatever. But by the end of it, you actually believe these two have a genuine connection with each other, not just mm-hmm. with the Japor snippet. But, like, they, they legitimately, <laughs> like, there is romantic tension between these two. And I don't think that ever gets credited. Like, it actually builds up to where you believe it. So... And, like, you see that in this opening bit, you know, like, oh, you'll always be the little boy on the boo, like, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> um, some pretty bad lines there. Uh, you can't oh. deny that. Um, but, yeah, like, I, I love listening to sort of the conversation that Anakin and Obi-Wan are having about the, the politics and that too, uh, sort of when she's sleeping. And there's just, like, that level... Because uh, Mallory turned to me and said, sort of like, oh, you know, do we find out that he's evil in this movie? And I'm like, no, it's sort of Revenge of the Sith. But I said, but like, there are definitely things in this movie that you believe he's going to be evil. And I think kind of what Hayden Christensen does very well, and he also does it a lot in the face as well, is kind of just this, it's almost like he's got a tick or something like that, where he's kind of like, he's constantly thinking about like, you know, balancing his feelings, if that makes sense. And mm-hmm. it's kind of... Yeah, no, I get it. Like, it's just the way he does it, he's so underrated. And I just... I can, again, I can see the hate which gets delivered at some of the terrible lines, but I think kind of there's maybe three of them, three scenes where, like, it's ridiculously bad. The rest, though, like, he deserves credit for the way he does it. And is Leonardo DiCaprio going to be too much with that? Like, is Ryan Felipe going to be able to do that? I don't know. And it's just he's just got a way of doing it. When he's talking about, like, the dreams and he's kind of, like, you know, got his knuckle on the ledge and he's kind of, like, you know, it's just... it To me, that's a genuine mm-hmm. conversation that somebody's having when they're talking about their dreams. Like, you know, it's a, it's a bit to admit that, like, I'm sure that's, you know, a lot. And I don't know, just something about the way he delivers it is fantastic. And then Obi-Wan as well, because we kind of had, you know, a bit naive sort of, you know, young learning Obi-Wan in Phantom Menace. And now he's just obviously mature to the point where he's the father figure sort of to, to, and I like that balance where he's kind of almost like a father figure, but then he's like, yeah, as you said, like being a bit of a friend to him as well. So um, just some great stuff there. The chase, Absolutely love it. It's fantastic. Um, and even the way, 
like you were sort of talking about like with Coruscant or that, like it just, I love the way it feels different. And then kind of, you get this sort of different area of the city where, you know, there's almost like a nightclub district and then kind of like the highway with the tunnel and just random little things like that, which kind of add life to it. And it's just, it's just fantastic. I love the chase and I love kind of just the little lines that they each having to each other. Like, you know, what took you so long? Oh, you know me, master. I just have to find a speeder that I like and yeah, you know, things <laughs> like that. And I just love the acting kind of the way, like, you know, Ewan McGregor's like, you, you sort of, he'll move the speeder and he's talking. He's like, whoa, like, you know, just things like that. This is a fan. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Like, <laughs> that was good. <laughs> Just, it's just fun, and it just like I, it just makes me mad that so many people hate stuff like this because like oh it looks shit or like this you know this is more Star Wars with the way this is shot, the music, the sound effects, everything than anything in the Last Jedi revolving around the fucking casino planet dancing on horses and stuff like that. So so good. Um, I love the bar scene, the death sticks, obviously, but I like, I, I just love that moment when Anakin's about to go into the, the club and sort of everyone's like, you know, search your feelings, you know, he's gone in there to hide, not to run away. And just the way he calms him down. And then I also love it right at the end when kind of they walk out of the club and he's just like, Jedi business, you know, <laughs> like go back to your go drinks. Go back to your drinks. <laughs> <laughs> like badass moment. Like, is that a thing? Like do people in the Star Wars uniform, like literally just go like, um, like, oh, okay, Jedi business. We better stop it. Um, those girls that like check out Anakin full on. I love it when you first see Ahmed Best and kind of like Anakin walks past him and puts his hand up. I'm guessing he's like asking for a drink or something like that. The way Ahmed Best looks at Anakin, he's totally checking him out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everybody is in this movie. Um, yeah, which is crazy. Just like, does Anakin, Hayden Christensen from these movies get a lot of sex symbol vibes? Like, I, I can't really remember it too much. Like, does does Jamie watch this and go, ooh, you know, Anakin? You know, Jamie Jamie has nothing against Hayden Christensen. I mean, she's definitely more Henry Cavill or Hugh Jackman or whatever. Um, but, like, I remember, and again, my, my mom has passed. She will not be embarrassed by this. But, like, Hayden Christensen was, like, what, like, 18 or 19 when we filmed this movie? My mom was probably, like, 40. She watched this movie, and she's like, oh, I like that guy. <laughs> like, really? <laughs> He's my age, I think. <laughs> um, but, yeah, like, uh, one of the funny things when you talk about, like, the, the chemistry between the actors, you know, of course, around the time this movie came out, it was just coming off of, well, weeks after Spider-Man, and everyone was talking about, like, the chemistry between Kirsten Dunst and Tobey Maguire and everything. And whenever you have young actors, it's always like, oh, are they involved or whatever? There wasn't, like, a lot of talk about, like, are Natalie and Hayden Christensen uh, a couple? But they would kind of play up on that in interviews. And I remember, like, so many interviews when they would ask Natalie Portman about Hayden Christensen. She'd be like, she's like, so why – what does Padme see in Anakin? She's like, uh, he's hot. Look at him. Like, she would <laughs> totally play up on the way she acts in this movie, whether, you know, I doubt they were, like, a couple in real life. But I think that one of the things that – really works with their chemistry in this movie and we talked about this long before we even you know settled on covering these movies what does work between both of those actors is they genuinely look like they want to bone each other yeah absolutely and you know maybe there's something to that i, I i'm not saying they did in real life but they have clearly a good attraction towards each other that translated well in the movie which i think is important in movies like this because you know when you're selling a love story that, yeah, you got to have that chemistry and everything along those lines. Oh, that's got to sell the movie. But, you know, it's a lot of, I think, movies go with the fact like, oh, these two people are hot, so people are automatically going to believe they want to have sex with each other. Yeah. That, that's not how it works. 
Um, I mean, like we- that's not how the force works. <laughs> Like the notebook, like I think when we did that, like a lot of that too is I knew that Ryan Gosling and Rachel McAdams hated each other. Like I know they ended up winning to date in real life, but during the filming of that movie, they absolutely hated each other. So it's kind Which of- Which is why their arguments were so believable. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like, yeah, and and the thing is, that I, I actually don't really remember sort of a whole lot of things around this movie saying like, oh, you know, and Ellie Portman hated Christensen together. But there is that definite, you know- fact that as you said they just genuinely want to bone each other i think um which again goes into the credit that i think and i'm not going to sit here and sort of you know try and defend natalie portman because i mean as you said she generally kind of escapes a lot of the criticism in these movies but i think kind of hayden christensen deserves some credit for this sort of stuff because you know he's got to bring that to the screen it's not just that's not dialogue that's not you know, what's in the script. You've got to have that level of acting through your, your body motion, you know, your body language, kind yeah. of how you are around a person. And I think kind of between him and Natalie Portman, they, they pull it off really, really well by the end of this movie that you genuinely believe, okay, cool, this is Luke and Leia's parents. Like, I, I'm down with that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely agree with that. Uh, the one thing I'll say, like, sort of when he's doing the interrogation, again, just the little snippets that come out of him sort of obviously having this evilness in him. You know, like, you know, mm. tell me! Uh, like, it's just... And the look... Please tell us now! <laughs> and the looks, too, like, going back to, like, the look that Jar Jar sort of gave him and sort of even just when the way Obi-Wan will look him, little fights here and there, like, it's just just snippets, the Japor snippets that are coming through here. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that really do sell this really well. Um, Here's my little experiment here. Uh, Natalie Portman versus Rose Byrne, let's say, in the last <laughs> couple of years. Uh, so Natalie Portman had Jane got a gun, um, which nobody saw, but I actually did see and wasn't a bad movie. It also had Ewan McGregor and Joel Edgerton in it, which helped. Uh, Jackie, which Ugh. she got nominated for an Oscar I and nobody saw. It was boring as batshit. Yeah. <laughs> I watched it on a plane. Uh, I think I fell plan- asleep in it. <laughs> Planetarium, Song to Song, Annihilation, Vox Lux, and The Death and Life of John F. Donovan. Uh... <laughs> Rose Byrne, in the last couple of years, um, has had uh, the Peter Rabbit movie, um, oh. Instant Family, which is a big movie with uh, Mark Wahlberg last year, uh, Insidious, the X-Men franchise, The Neighbors movie, Spy, Annie. Uh, one of them has definitely gone on to bigger and better things. But, okay, I, I can't disagree with that, but look at their filmography between like 2002 and 2010. Well, but, okay, Rose Byrne was a big enough star to have three lines in this movie. But let's even look at 2010, because she had 28 Weeks Later, which was the big sequel to 28 Days Later. Uh, she had Wicker Park, which I think was, you know, a uh, breakthrough-ish movie with Josh Hartnett. Actually, a pretty good movie. She had Troy, where she played the love interest of Brad Pitt in one of the biggest movies Hollywood ever made. Troy was She shit. had Sunshine. I hate that movie. I love Troy. Oh. I love it. Are you sure you're not confusing with Alexander? That's the bad No, no, no. I, it was definitely Troy. We went and saw it. Um, I remember we went and saw it in like a class, school class, and um, just all the girls like were just getting moist over shirtless Brad Pitt and just Orlando Bloom, like just ugh, crying everything. Eric thing, Banner, yeah, Eric Banner's the only good thing in that movie. But um, you know, well, Natalie Burke. Portman was in two and a half. Marvel movies, you know, she, she had V for Vendetta, uh, Black Swan. She was nominated for Closer. Closer is a great movie. Uh, uh, no strings attached. Rose Byrne. <laughs> Rose Byrne had Bridesmaids. Um, get him to the Greek. <laughs> Bobby Cannavale. Uh, yeah, she had Bobby Cannavale. 
I mean, damage. I think she was. Was she nominated for a Golden Globe, or she had to be at least nominated oh, for Emmys and Golden Globes and damages? She was great. I mean, I know it was a Glenn Close uh, show, but I mean, it was still Rose Byrne held her own to, give, to Glenn Close. I'm not. I don't dislike you know, Rose Byrne. I feel weird having this debate. <laughs> do you know what's really funny though is that Rose Byrne she got into this movie sort of through connections um, because Joel Edgerton was cast as Owen, and Joel Edgerton's brother Nash was cast as obi-wan's stunt double and rose Byrne was dating joel edgerton's brother nash at the time so it was this weird connection where it's like joel edgerton and then his brother's in the movie and then his brother's girlfriend's in the movie you know and now they're all huge stars including nash edgerton who's now gone on to become a director i guess so she was um, yeah they've all had more success well just looking here she was before she was with bobby cannavale she was with um brendan cow who's a fairly biggish australian actor he's done a few american style movies but I mean, just I mean, looking at her career, as I was saying, like how she kind of avoided a fair bit of the sort of the Australian, like oh, I'm going to do Home and Away, I'm going to do All Saints, you know, things like that. Like she was in Heartbreak High, which was kind of like a teenage sort of soap, which everyone watched. Murder Call, I remember that. But outside of that, she really just avoided the um, the Australian, uh, you know, rounds of things that everyone does. Like she kind of went from. Uh, those uh, straight into to movies. So she was in Two Hands, Heath Ledger, Boat. I don't know if you've heard of Two Hands. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So she kind of went that. But, but like, you know what's... Star Wars kind of went to that, and then she was basically in America. You know what's weird is that, uh, obviously, she if you look at her filmography, she sort of started out doing these dramatic movies. And then when Get Him to the Greek comes out, she's suddenly in a comedy and getting really good response to her, you know, her comedic timing and everything. Then she gets Bridesmaids. And now if you look at her career, she almost exclusively does comedies. And I I think she's probably one of these uh, rare success stories in comedy, like John Hamm. I don't know if you're familiar with John Hamm, uh, but like he was on Mad Men and was considered such a serious actor. And then he hosted Saturday Night Live one time and his reviews were so good. Like cast members of Saturday Night Live will say he's as good or as funny as anybody who's hosted the show in like 50 years almost. And now John Hamm almost exclusively does these great comedies. So I love when you get these actors and they just do something completely different and then they can make a career out of it. So. I, yeah, Rose Byrne. Good job, Rose Byrne. Yeah, I agree. And, and like her husband, Bobby Cannavale, is like that. Like good dramatic yeah. actor, but he's also got great, he's a great comedy actor as well. So mm-hmm. can we do Bobby Cannavale month? I'm sorry. I love Bobby <laughs> Cannavale. Like that man hey. is a man. We could do Annie where we're doing both Rose Byrne and Bobby Cannavale. As in month or doing them in general? Because I'd be down for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's move on here. <laughs> so, getting into the second act of the movie, I guess. Uh, now they know that there's somebody out to get Padme. Uh, the Jedi Council meets about this briefly. So we get the, the council chamber. And it's cool to watch these movies from one to the next where you can see some council members stay the same and then other ones are different. And you just sort of imagine, what happened to this guy? Did he get barred? Did he have like a scandal with some, you know, underage uh nemoidian or something like that <laughs> and um they throw new ones in there but um apparently there was a sequence i don't know if it was here or somewhere around this section of the movie where nsync had filmed cameos and that be- that was like so criticized when it came out that i remember saturday night live i think even parodying it where um they were showing like the next star wars movie and there was a jedi council cha- chamber because everybody knew that they were being playing jedis in it and you were going to have like the Jedi Council doing stuff. Then all of a sudden, NSYNC was going to break into Bye 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 in the background. And people made <laughs> such a big deal about this. 
Like, it's a really funny skit if you could find it. Uh, people made such a big deal about it when it came out. Like, George Lucas is an idiot. I'm never going to see this movie. He's got NSYNC. Is just... Really what it came down to is that George Lucas's daughters begged him to put NSYNC in the movie so they could meet NSYNC. So we had them standing in the background somewhere here at the Jedi Temple and then eventually just cut the scene. But that was, like, so criticized when it happened. It was just a background thing. Yeah, so, Daniel Craig, uh, like... uh, the P- Prince William and yeah. uh, uh, what Harry... They film cameos, and yet that's okay. But yeah, exactly. Because as soon as Disney takes over, all is forgiven, right? Yeah. Um, I, I honestly would make the argument that if the sequel movies came out by George Lucas in ninety nine, two thousand two, and two thousand five, they would be hated. And if the prequel movies were the ones released by Disney now, they'd be more well received. It's just there's this weird thing where people were just. I, I think it was the time period too, so like the dawn of the internet where. Everybody was expressing opinions online, but media didn't know how to understand that these were just opinions. So that, that's just sort of a theory I have because you could look at a lot of movies around that time period that sort of got this reaction. Uh, but I just re- always remember that NSYNC thing with they had the skit here in this Jedi Council scene with them dancing, singing in the background. Um, so anyways, they're basically saying, Obi-Wan, you need to find out who's you know behind this. And then uh, he's like, well, what about Padme? She needs protecting. And like, handle that. Your Padawan will. And you could actually see Anakin. Talk about facial reacting. Anakin here. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Um, I can handle it, Master. (laughs) Uh, He almost has like this look of like, ooh. (laughs) You hear hear the uh, the whistle from uh, James Bond. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) so they give him the assignment, which uh, this leads into Obi-Wan saying a line, which was done in reshoots, um, uh, you know, it'll, or Anakin says, it'll be difficult to convince her to reach, leave the capital. And then they're saying, uh, you go, go to the chancellor and ask him to talk to Padme for you. Uh, so that was added. We talked about that moment at the end of Phantom Menace, right as Palpatine's arriving after the battle. And you can clearly see, where there's a cut that they, they had reshot something like weeks before the movie came out where they suddenly realized, oh, no, we don't have any moment here where Palpatine meets Anakin. I think we're going to need that. They made the same mistake in this movie. They went through the whole movie. They had that moment where Anakin was talking about having clearly knowing Palpatine saying the Chancellor does appear to be corrupt. They filmed this whole movie and then suddenly realize, I think we probably need a scene where Anakin and Palpatine meet. <laughs> So this scene was supposed to end with, you know, it'll be difficult for her to re- leave the capital. And then Yoda says, until caught, you know, our judgment, she must respect. And then the scene ended. But then like, uh, well, let's just throw in a scene where Anakin meets Palpatine. And so that line from May scene, go to Palpatine. And then the, the scene that's coming up with Anakin meeting Palpatine were both done in reshoots to correct something they'd forgotten, which stay tuned for next week where we'll pick up something else very important that they forgot until the last minute. Uh, but the Palpatine scene, it's it's... This, this next sequence of scenes here are all just pretty standard. This is just Palpatine, you know, saying, don't worry, I'll talk to Padme. And then he starts to fill Anakin with the, uh, a little bit of pumping up his ego, which become very important later on. A few of the lines he says where he goes, I see you're becoming greater than all the Jedi, even more than Master Yoda, which somebody else is going to say a very similar line later on, which maybe you can connect the dots once you get to uh, Revenge of the Sith. Uh, and then we get the, 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 the iconic scene of Anakin's temper tantrum. <laughs> Um, which one? Oh no before we get to that no before we get to that <laughs> we have uh, another reshoot where the, if you watch the deleted scenes this scene between Yoda, Mace and Obi-Wan where Yoda's in like the floating chair that was actually originally seen just between Mace and Obi-Wan as he was leaving and he was climbing into his starfighter 
And then they're like, well, we kind of have a Yoda in this scene and we want to put place it earlier in the movie because it felt awkward where it was. So they reshot it with Yoda on this floating platform here. Um, and this is just them talking about, you know, Anakin, you know, his abilities have made him arrogant. And Yoda says uh, a flaw more and more common about Jedi, even the older, more experienced ones. Wonder if that'll be important later on in the movie, too. <laughs> uh, and this is where the only mention of the prophecy, which was the whole plot of the first movie, the only mention of it is here, where he goes, remember, your apprentice is the only one who can bring the Force back into balance. Uh, and then we have Padme packing for her trip. And Jar Jar, this is the only remnant of Jar Jar needing to uh, rehearse his way of speech, <laughs> where he goes, Misa honored to be taking on this uh, heavy burden. Misa, accept this with moi moi humility. And, and Padme just says, Jar Jar, Jar Jar, shut up, okay? Right, <laughs> <laughs> Jar Jar, I'm sure you have a lot of important things to do. Oh, of course. And then this is where Padme throws her. Why does Hayden Christensen get criticized for throwing a temper tantrum? I mean, here, Padme, I don't like this idea of hiding. <laughs> and she's just, she's just as bratty as he is in this movie. Uh, but in a way, I understand why people – I'm not going to say I understand because when I, well, the first time I heard somebody complain, Anakin's too whiny in Attack of the Clones. That's the problem with him. The only thing I could think of was Luke in A New Hope. Yeah. Where uh, he's arguing with Han, where he's like, I thought you said things were too fast. <laughs> and watch your mouth, kid. You're going to find floating home. Luke spends all of A New Hope whining and complaining. Anakin's pretty toned down from what Luke was in A New Hope. People accepted it with Luke because they're like, well, he's just a young kid. So is Anakin here. And I, the when I say I understand people's criticism of this direction they took with the character i only mean i understand it in terms that i think that people got this idea in their head they saw darth vader first so they had their idea in their head of what darth vader was like as a child and they wanted to see darth vader not realize it's about how he becomes that and he's not always going to be this evil guy like he would be a 19 year old kid and this is something that we got a little bit of in the first Spider-Man movie, maybe I think a little bit in the second Spider-Man movie. Uh, but other than that, there are very few movies that show teenagers and it's actually realistic the way teenagers act. So when Anakin throws this temper tantrum here, it's like, I'm really ahead of him. It's like, he's not fair. I guarantee I had moments when I was 19, 20 years old where I was going, it's not fair still. I still do. I probably had that. In my, yeah, Ben still does. He said that before we started. I'm hosting this episode, Ben. Oh, it's not fair. <laughs> I'm really ahead of you in some ways, Colin. <laughs> I hate you. But, I hate all of you. I, uh, but that's the way 19-year-olds are. And, and that's kind of what I like about Anakin in this movie is that it's something that most movies don't get. He still feels like a teenager. He's This isn't a grown man. This is a teenage kid. Um, but sure, if people had this idea of Darth Vader and they wanted him to be more Darth Vader-like, fine. But I have no issues with the scene on the fact that, yeah, there's some, some bad dialogue here and a bit of overacting. Again, let's give Hayden Christensen the same pass that you know we gave Jake Lloyd last week and that we're giving Natalie Portman in some ways here. It's like, this is a very young kid. He's like 18 or 19 when he makes it. He's the same age as the character. So he he's done one major Canadian TV show, and he had a small appearance in The Virgin Suicides, where he had like six lines or something like that. He I think he's doing pretty good, all things considered, in this movie. Um, but this is one of the audition scenes that uh, I never saw the video of this. I think there's a couple clips that were released, but uh, before the movie came out, I remember finding like it, it was actually a screensaver I downloaded that somebody had made of all the images of this movie and the backing track of this was music with 
what I now know is dialogue from the screen tests where it was a completed performance. So some of these lines, when I saw the movie, I'm like, I know that line. I heard that in that, that thing, but yet it was different. So I've heard the dialogue version of the screen test, which was a combination of this scene and the scene where they're on the ship later on eating dinner, um, <laughs> uh, the buffet or whatever it is. Not the fruit and one. Hayden Christ- <laughs> I'm going to argue Hayden Christensen's perform, not the fruit. Oh, wait till we get there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Hayden Chris's performance in that screen test is dynamite. Like it, it actually would blow you away if you could ever find it because there is a little bit more darkness in it. And I think it would have pleased fans more. It wasn't the direction they wanted for this movie. It may have felt a little too much at the time where I think you need to make Anakin a little bit more immature and not quite as dark. But everything people wanted is there in that screen test. And some things get lost in the movie here that I think – he always had. So if there's a way to find it, check it out because some of these lines here that he's delivering that sound bad in the movie sound good in that screen test. Um, but I also like, again, the way that they look, the way that he's looking at her and she's like, please don't look at me like that. And, he, and when he's like, why not? It's like, it makes me feel uncomfortable. They both sort of have like with her, with him, it's like, okay, I wonder if I can get anywhere with this girl. With her look, it's like, this is inappropriate, but I kind of like it. But... <laughs> I'm going to tell them it's inappropriate, you know, their performances come out in the way that they look at each other in this movie, which you know we've already said. And I think this is another good example. Um, and then as they're saying goodbye, now here's one of the <laughs> worst scenes in the whole movie uh, as they're leaving the Capitol. Um, Rose Byrne is saying goodbye to Natalie Portman. Uh, and uh, we get just a really awkward joke where, uh, uh, she says something about, don't worry, he'll be safe with me, implying that she's the protector of Type 4 or whatever. <laughs> and then she's crying. And she's like, You'll be fine. It's not me. I worry about you. What if they realize you've left the Capitol? <laughs> well, first of all, everything that's wrong with this scene, what if they realize you've left the Capitol? It's not what if they realize you're on Naboo. If you left the Capitol, there are thousands of planets she could be on. <laughs> it's probably a good thing if they think you've left the Capitol because then you're safe and they have no clue where she is. And then she's like, well, then my Jedi protector will have to prove how good he is. It's just obnoxious the way she says that. Uh, although I do like Anakin almost having this moment of like, yeah, let me tell you a little something. And Obi-Wan's like, Anakin. <laughs> Anakin. Cool it. <laughs> We're not going to have this discussion again, okay? Yeah, they have to have but that mind has, training like, like his teenage – because teenage boys, you know, they discover things like, Anakin, remember I told you not yeah. to put your hands on your poor <laughs> snippet? Think of that training. <laughs> well – What's great about this is like Obi-Wan gets it because Ewan McGregor actually said in an interview, and I don't know if this was something like he got from George Lucas, but this is around the time of Revenge of the Sith where he cleared up the Jedi are not monks. Like Jedi have sex. They just don't have relationships. <laughs> you actually have to think about that. Like Obi-Wan probably has – he's been there before. And this is more about, yeah, it's wrong for Padme because I sense that you want to do a little bit more than bone her. <laughs> I love that the Jedi are like, I would rather you just – Wanted her as a sexual object and not as a potential wife, Anakin. Anakin, use her <laughs> uh, and but spit it, her out and don't call her again. Do not do the right thing and call her again and take her out for dinner. That's the Jedi way, Anakin. Treat them like objects. Jedi Tinder. <laughs> Swipe <laughs> left, Annie. Swipe left. She wants a relationship. <laughs> no, she wants but, kids. Seriously, though. You view these scenes differently when you... 
realize what you and McGregor said that it's like, no, Jedi can have sex. <laughs> just, they're not allowed to How was Rayborn? Come on, everyone. Actually, like... <laughs> you know, he can't have a wife. He can't, but he can have illegitimate children. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure there's plenty of them out there. Um, yeah, but, but uh, so many things wrong with the scene here. Uh, when he's like, don't do anything without myself for the council. And he's like, understood, master. And here's maybe the most wooden, and, and it's also poor timing. When uh, Anakin says to Padme, it's time to go, and she goes, I know. Like, the way she says I know is bad, but it's almost like in the room where it's like, hi, you're my favorite customer. Thank you. And they're just talking <laughs> over each other, even though it's just possible. Hi, doggy. It's like, it's time to go. I know. Yeah, it's like, it's time to go. I know. It's just, watch it. It's just, it's awful. And then as they're walking away, and and she's like, suddenly I'm afraid. It's my first assignment. I am too. Don't worry. We have our two with us. And the most single fake laugh in the history of movies. <laughs> like it's not even, it's, it's not even like a realistic fake laugh it's like it's almost like they scripted a fake okay natalie i want you to do a fake laugh here okay so it's all like this <laughs> no no no. i want you to make it sound like a fake laugh got it george got it <laughs> like it doesn't have the timing of a laugh it doesn't sound like a laugh it's not realistic it's a terrible joke in the first but don't worry we have our two with that's the one moment like i'll defend anakin and hayden Christensen. that's one moment where i want to smack this guy in the face you know <laughs> get back in the nsync lineup kid it's probably, it's probably, <laughs> i want my darth vader it's probably legitimately like you know george has got okay natalie this is really funny, all right? Anakin's going to say, don't worry, we have R2 with us. It's funny, you've got to laugh. And Natalie's like, it's not funny. It's like, shut up, Natalie. It's funny. You have to laugh. So that's like the most realistic laugh she could give. She's like, I'm sorry, George. I just don't find it funny. <laughs> like, it's, and it's everybody not in funny, the set George. Just, shut up, Natalie. <laughs> it's funny. That would be great. You imagine everybody, George Lucas is just getting really, really irritated. It's like, oh, come on. Hayden, show her how it's done. And he's like, uh-huh. <laughs> and he's like, come on, I'm going to deliver the joke myself. I've got the timing, Natalie. So you're listening to me and then give me your genuine reaction. Don't worry, we have our two with us. Uh-huh. <laughs> and meanwhile, when they're delivering this line, Hayden Christus is going, don't worry, we have our two with us. I just picture everybody on the set groaning. And then George goes, <laughs> He's losing it every single time. I'm so funny. <laughs> Because as if R2's protecting the Jedi and the Senator. Oh, it's so good. And Works on so many levels. All right, Natalie, faster, more intense. Okay, go. <laughs> Natalie, you'll never um, win an Oscar if you don't anyway, laugh at this line. You will never win an Oscar. <laughs> Rose Byrne will, but you won't. Oh, sure, shit. <laughs> Natalie, you only have two routes to winning an Oscar. <laughs> laughing at this joke or learning how to cry. <laughs> You mean in every movie? Which one does yes. she take? If you do it in every in movie, every movie, <laughs> they will make a YouTube video of you. You will win an Oscar. You know what? She just put it together. She's a happier than I've seen her in a long time. She forgot how to laugh. It's all in the script. <laughs> exactly. It's because the white boy showed up. <laughs> Only yes. white people are funny. Ah. <laughs> Uh, and then we, of course, we get Tifo and Obi-Wan. It's like, I don't, do hope he tries nothing foolish. I'd be more concerned about her doing something than him. Uh, which makes sense for Padme's character. Because she's completely irrational. She does whatever she wants. She doesn't listen to anybody. Neither does Anakin. Uh, so then as they go off on the ship, uh, Obi-Wan begins his quest. So this is where the characters split up. And uh, this is a throwback to 
George Lucas's pre-Star Wars movie, American Graffiti, here, this 50s-style cafe that they go into, which was intentional on George Lucas's part. Um, this is... When people do criticize the effects, I think there's a couple things people have to realize. One, DVDs were pretty new at this point. In the old days, you could see a movie in the theater... And effects didn't diminish when you saw them on video because it was so grainy <laughs> and low grade, you didn't see any imperfections. DVDs come out and suddenly it's enhancing it above what you saw in the theater, sometimes in the wrong way. Now, this was not only like, you know, the, the first movie to do the IMAX and stuff like that, but it was the first one to film all digitally. So they're filming this digitally. They're doing these digital characters. When I saw this guy in the cafe, Dex, he looked great on the big screen. When I saw it on DVD, I'm like, that does not hold up. There are things that there was a learning curve for this being the first all digital movie and, you know, early into DVDs that you're making this movie for big screen. You're not going to know how everything's going to look later on. So some of these bad effects like Dex here does not look good at all. But I remember seeing the theater and thinking it looked just incredible. So a bit of a defense for, I think, the early, which still is considered the early days of effects here. Um, we get the first bit of droid prejudice, which is going to be very important in this movie and many later on, uh, as he's, uh, showing him the, the dart trying to get this old prospector guy to identify it, which I like the character. I think the, the, the voice acting is really fun. And I like the relationship between these two guys. Uh, but he was, those droids only focus on symbols and almost, well, if droids could think there'd be none of us here. Like this is Obi-Wan's version of racism. <laughs> he has a thing against droids, which we learn everybody in this movie does. Um, and then he's basically saying, well, what is Kamino? I've never heard of it. He goes, well, he gives them the general vicinity of it and says they're cloners. Uh, you know, are they friendly? Well, it depends on how big your pocketbook is. Now I'm picturing where a Jedi keeps his wallet. Cause I never, (laughs) sometimes you get these things and they mention somebody in Star Wars. What if somebody suddenly mentioned a dollar bill, you know, they talk about credits and stuff like that. And I'm imagining like credit cards, you know? Um, when they say how big your pocketbook is, I'm thinking, is that a checkbook or a wallet? Because I don't really picture a Jedi carrying either. It's just one of those weird things where I'm like, is that part of the Star Wars universe, a pocketbook? Um, we we kind of go back and forth here. I'm going to group these two things separately. Uh, the Obi-Wan mission where next he's going to the library and he's staring at this sculpture, which uh, the backstory is this is a sculpture of Count Dooku and that there's 20 different little statues there. And the backstory of Dooku is that there were 20 Jedi in the history of the Jedi Order. There are 20 Jedi that actually chose to leave the Order, not guys who turned to the dark side. But they said, I will no longer be a part of this Order. I'm revoking my membership and I'm on my own now. And Dooku was one of these lost 20, as they were called. And that's what Obi-Wan sort of staring at here. But um, the background thing is that two or three of these sculpts back – the crew just started sculpting themselves. So there's like a George Lucas in there. There's a Rick McCallum. There's like some of the special effects guys' faces. Hmm. Uh, and that's how they sort of made their cameos into this movie. Uh, this librarian's obnoxious. Like, I talk love- about somebody else who I just... <laughs> oh, no, it's no, just, no, no, she's, no. It's not when, that I love her as a character. Like, this is she's such a bitch. Like, if it's not in our archives, it doesn't exist. She just storms off. Yeah. <laughs> Well, she's surrounded by all these kids. That are, is, she, is she treating the kids with the same disrespect? Or she's just treating Obi-Wan like a child? Like, little Kenobi, if it's not in the records, it doesn't exist, okay? Now get out of my library! <laughs> Don't undermine me again, Colin's boy. hatred of old women is back. Yes! 
No, I just rewatched. I mentioned Spider Man, but I just rewatched Spider Man one and two. And Aunt May just gets worse as time goes on. Like this is the Aunt May, uh, or or the Twister Aunt May. <laughs> we we rewatched oh, that recently, and it was kind of just like trying to say to Mallory, like by the end of this movie, you're going to see that MJ is literally the worst. <laughs> she's like, yeah, she's pretty yeah. bad. <laughs> Hashtag well, still better than Zendaya. Yeah. <laughs> But the other problem I have with this librarian lady is she's like, it's not a system I'm familiar with. And then um, we find out later on, okay, well, this was erased, right? She says, if not in our records, it doesn't exist. She is so old. If this thing was erased <laughs> within the last 10 years, she should still know it. Like, she probably has the hard copy version of this. Like, dust off your books from the back, lady, and show him where Camino is. Stop wasting his time. Who is she? What's her name? Who is she? Jocasta New is her name. I, I want to do like a Homer Simpson, like, hey, old lady from Titanic, you stink! Yeah. <laughs> old librarian lady. <laughs> oh, you stink! <laughs> she needs to go home and rethink her life. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> you want to buy some death sticks? Oh, well, if, you don't, if death sticks aren't in the archive, they just don't exist. <laughs> um. So quickly, breezing through Obi-Wan's subplot here. Uh, so the the kid who interrupts them, by the way, as they end this scene with the librarian, is actually George Lucas's son, who returns in the next movie, playing the same role as a young Jedi. Um, and then we have uh, Obi Wan going to Yoda after that. Uh, now this was put in there specifically because people misunderstood the whole dynamic of Jedi because. When the Phantom Menace came out, there were a lot of people, just like we mentioned, people, how could they have been so stupid? Qui-Gon didn't disappear. Clearly, George Lucas doesn't know his own movies. You had the same people saying, like, well, George Lucas apparently forgot that Yoda trained Obi-Wan because he said so. And it was always the intention that you took on an apprentice, which is even said in the council scene in Phantom Menace, I'll take him as my apprentice. A person is trained before they become an apprentice. Like, if you go to school and then you become an apprentice, you don't say, oh, I was trained by, you know, whoever my boss was when I was an apprentice. No, you were trained by whoever your professor was in school or whatever. Uh, but people misunderstood that in The Phantom Menace. So George Lucas put the scene in where you saw Yoda training children before they were taken on as apprentice, clearly. So that people would understand, oh, okay, so Obi-Wan would have been trained. Everybody was trained by him. And I love that Yoda is teaching lightsaber combat to five-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> like, maybe, like, I love that with Luke, when he's training Luke later on, he's like, you know, learn to levitate the rocks, Luke. Learn to do this before being impatient and grabbing a weapon. Because he even tells you, you don't need your weapon yet. Too early for it, it is. Meanwhile, these five-year-old kids like, learn how to stab that man through the chest, you will. <laughs> Your life depends on it, it does. <laughs> I also love how he's like teaching them to use a lightsaber as much as Obi-Wan does in A New Hope with Darth Vader. So it's like left, yeah, right, exactly. right, left, left, right. Yeah, like, doesn't that make you rewatch A New Hope and be like, come on, this is like, you know, if, if a 20-year-old man was like, okay, C-A-T spells cat. <laughs> This is beginner level stuff here. There's actually, um, I'm sure we'll talk about it when we get to New Hope, but I, I'm sure you've seen that video. I think I tagged you in it a while ago. Somebody had sort of re-edited it and made their own version of it where it's kind of like Darth Vader and Obi-Wan doing this like epic like fight. And it's like it's really cool. Like I actually want to get the clip and re-edit it into A New Hope because I think it would actually work really well. But um, oh, I can't wait to get to that scene when they're fighting with broomsticks. <laughs> 
<laughs> Your voice totally. <laughs> ben became a broomsticks. <laughs> My balls just dropped finally. Yay. <laughs> I hit puberty all over again talking about this movie. Did you see the shirt ripping scene while you were speaking that line? Yeah, what can I say? Oh, um, anyways. <laughs> uh, so, next thing Obi-Wan does, uh, there was actually a deleted scene where he took this to the, the Jedi um, droid room, I guess their droid analysis thing which was all the way up to the end of the movie they had completed effects that's in the the deleted scenes anyways where obi-wan just takes it there and he gives the droids this dart and like we can't detect what it is and go hmm i know who could i it was like really you talk about bad acting watch the deleted scene where obi-wan actually gets this dart analyzed before going to see dex where he actually ends no joke it's like he raises one finger in the air and goes i know who could identify this for me <laughs> uh Really fun to watch some of the bad deleted scenes from these movies. You see why they're cut. Is that like uh, in but, um, Return of the Jedi uh, when Han's like, wait, I've got an idea. And then they kind of like freeze on his face and then they like cut away to a next scene. <laughs> they yes. freeze on his face. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, they, don't, they don't like freeze on <laughs> his face. It's like it's before he, they do the whole um, bit where they storm the, the guard tower on Endor. Oh, it, and it's like, wait, you're, you're I've got an about, idea. Wait, I have an idea. Yeah, yeah, the alternate take of that. Wait, I have an idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so when he's going to Yoda, Yoda actually asks his class's opinion. One of the really bad little kids. Uh, somebody must have erased it from the archives. <laughs> uh, which trivia fact here, all the aliens are played by the same kid, just filmed over and over again with a different mask. Uh, but I don't know, like, it's fine. I'm sure you could have found a better kid for that scene, but oh well, it's just one line. Um, Yoda then has this conversation, only a Jedi could have erased those files. Like, how do we know it's only a Jedi? Are there no hackers in the future? <laughs> like, what if it's like the, the, the Coruscant version of, uh, I don't know, um, the, 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 the hackers guy. <laughs> you know, the the hackers guy. guy. He went and rethought his yeah. life. I'm going to yeah. become a hacker. <laughs> I'm going to erase planets from the Jedi archives. That's how he got in the Matrix. I... It's all connected. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Hacker guys. There you go. That's where they come from. Those hacker guys. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think to myself. You know, like, you know those famous hackers? I'm like, wait a second. I don't think there's such a thing as a famous hacker. <laughs> Colin's lost a plot. Yo. <laughs> Trinity <laughs> Trinity help <laughs> He is the one um, <laughs> Whoa uh, <laughs> uh, Let me see what else happens uh, Oh yeah and also in the background Before Obi-Wan walks in there There's the uh, uh, What I'm sure most people have noticed The Twi'lek Jedi Which is of course you know, the, the, the dancing girl Jabba has Who's basically just wearing a bra But she's a Jedi and she'll appear later on uh, interesting fact about that, uh, well, I'll bring up later on about the actress who plays that character, but she was just a background character who's in this one scene. They're like, I kind of want to have, you know, a female Twi'lek and they put it in here and then eventually like, mm, let's use her later in the movie. I think this visual works. Uh, but, uh, that kind of similar reaction with a lot of the fanboys who knows the background stuff have like when Ben watches Natalie Portman. <laughs> um, anyways, so the second part of this, I guess would be. Padme and Anakin, so they have the scene when they're on the ship, and they're having the buffet, and we get more 
droid Prejinsky's other droids is R two's just trying to get a dinner roll. Like, hey, no. <laughs> no, that's funny. No dinner rolls. Fuck off, droid. Not for the droids. Get to the back of the bus, droid. He's actually doing like the Rosa Parks of droids, and he's just going to stand yes. up and be like. Beep, 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 beep. I will have my dinner roll in the front of the bus, thank you very much. I have a dream that droids and humans can live together in harmony. Eating the same dinner rolls at the same buffet table. <laughs> um, we get This is the second audition scene, which again, pl- played really well when you at least heard the audio of this, uh, where Anakin and Padme have a conversation about Jedi's not loving, which again, nobody knew. Before this movie happened, everybody assumed that Anakin and Padme would just get married and that would be the plot and that something else would go wrong. And then when that first trailer came out and they played this clip in here, it was like, are you allowed to love? I thought that was forbidden for a Jedi. And like you said, the poster, a Jedi shall not know fear or anger or love. This is the first time it's really even mentioned. And Anakin does a good job explaining. It. It's like, you know, uh, attachment is basically what's forbidden. But you get the idea that, you know, the two things go together. <laughs> uh, but he says, you know, we're encouraged to love or whatever. And he's like, you're exactly the way I remember you in my dreams. Uh, bad delivery of that line. I think it could have been done um, a little bit more awkward. I love the awkward Anakin, but that one just, it, uh, it's not convincing. You're exactly the way I remember you in my dreams. Except they're uh, wearing like, a lot uh, more clothing. Yeah, exactly. Can you take some of that stuff off and maybe it'll be a little bit closer? Um <laughs> But uh, after this, they land on Naboo, and uh, I didn't mention this, but th- sometimes you hear the, these background noises that certain speeds, like, if I were to ask you right now, what does a Jawa say? What would you say? Uh, yeah, I I know, um, but... Yeah. Or sand people. It's like... There's something that the Gungan when they when Obi Wan and Qui Gon and Jar Jar first go into the Gungan city, you see these two Gungans who sort of look at each other, like shrug their shoulders, and they go "Umikusa hata hata." <laughs> and I always remember that line because it just sounded so funny to me. When Anakin and Padme are having their discussion walking across the bridge carrying their luggage here, you see two Gungans in the corner of the screen, and if you listen really closely, you hear "Umikusa hata hata," <laughs> which I really want to know what that means. Like, what is the translation of that? The racist. Queen's back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Run for cover. <laughs> uh, but uh, that's what it translates. That's Gungan speak for. Uh, or it's Gungan speak for. I hate them. I hate all of them. <laughs> Kill all of them. Women. I want to. I want to go home and rethink my life. <laughs> um. So anyways, she gives a bit of her backstory the last 10 years where I heard they even tried a really bad exposition here. I heard they even tried to amend the Constitution to keep you in office. I was relieved when my two terms are up. But when the Queen asked me to stay on, I couldn't refuse. <laughs> Neither of them are any good in this scene. I'm glad they kept you on. I think the Republic needs you. This is just worse upon worse dialogue. Uh, this whole section of the movie is a huge struggle, uh, which criticize George Lucas all you want, but he did bring on another screenwriter to kind of help him with this middle act of the movie, Jonathan Hales. And this is some of the worst dialogue in the movie. So I don't th- let's not blame just George Lucas for it. He admits he needed help with some of this stuff. And this is the best he could get. Uh, she probably should have brought a couple more screenwriters in to help because this is just awful. Uh, and then we read the new queen, Queen Jamila. 
which also has a really fun backstory in all the novels and everything where she was like corrupt and the people basically, you know, uh, called for her head. Like she, she was known as the worst queen in the <laughs> history of Naboo following this. Uh, and we get C.O. Bibble again. It's unthinkable. I there forgot he was in this movie. <laughs> yeah, well, he, he appears in like one scene. Uh, which I mean, he appears in one scene in the next one and doesn't even get a line of dialogue, but he's obviously just a favorite of theirs. They have to keep bringing him back. Um, but this, again, dialogue, not great. It's just an awkward conversation. Uh, do you see any way that we could bring the Separatists back? No. It's like, we must hold on our faith in democracy. And then the Queen's like, um, uh, that we must hold our faith in the Republic. Uh, and then what, what's the line? She has something here about uh, uh, when we, the day we lose faith in democracy is the day we lose. And then Padme, let's pray that day never comes. <laughs> <laughs> she has but no then- frustration. I don't get Padme here because it's basically just like, oh, well, didn't get what we want. Okay, I'm going to go hide now. Bye. <laughs> Like, she's so... Talk about just looking bored. Like, she sounds bored. She sounds unconvincing. At least Hayden Christensen tries. The scene does take a, a turn for the better here, though, where um, the, uh, the the argument between Anakin and Padme happens. Mm. And, uh, you know, she's like, oh, Anakin's not a Jedi. Anakin. Wait a second! <laughs> <laughs> when, you're like, not a politician! <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's racist okay? <laughs> uh, but then she keeps getting off it's like hold on a second Anakin. and then he's like uh, I was thinking we'd stay in the lake country he's like wait I and he puts his hands on his hips I'm in charge of security here my lady <laughs> and this is my home I know very well that's why you're here and then all of a sudden and Queen Jamila sort of looks and I'm like hmm <laughs> I gotta go now guys <laughs> and he's like well I'm sorry and then just end there but then, this is not the best section of the movie, but like it's about to come. <laughs> best stuff needs to come. We're gonna get to that. There's gonna be a whole scene on its own. The next the boo scene uh, is the best scene in the whole movie. Come on, <laughs> we've been building all this up all year for this one scene. <laughs> but like, for the purpose of the story, you do need to have these characters together, kind of getting each other to know each other away from everything else. They have to be in a setting where their lives aren't in jeopardy for a while. It is the most boring stuff of the movie. It is the worst dialogue. It is some of the worst acting. Uh, but the Obi-Wan stuff's still cool. I like his little detective work here. Detective Obi-Wan. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, it's, to me, it's interesting how, you know, it's like, oh, you know, you go off and investigate this, Obi-Wan, and we'll put your young Padawan in control. Like, like obviously, we're going to get sulky Padme in a moment, you know, like, I did not approve of hiding. But, like, five minutes ago, she's like, oh, I'm covering the cameras because I don't like you watching me. And then even, yeah. like, Obi-Wan's kind of like, you know, oh, you're sweating, your Depor snippet's showing. Like, you're sweating. <laughs> is, is this really, like, the good best idea to put this horny young 19-year-old who's been playing with his Depor snippet for 10 years thinking about her? Like, <laughs> <laughs> And they know he's horny. Exactly. They can sense, mm, sense a boner in you, I can. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, they know. The Jedi. Uh, admittedly, they can't tell that you know Palpatine is evil. Uh, Look, in my Jedi, don't carry pocketbooks and they don't get boners. <laughs> mm, think about your mother. You must. Oh no, you'll still have a boner. Uh, <laughs> I do like the little scene between Palpatine and Anakin when he's like, you know, I see you becoming the best of all the Jedi. Um, <laughs> you sound the enchantress there. <laughs> The Jedi, you are becoming the best one. Ooh. Um, don't trust you, chicken. <laughs> I will bring all your dreams to life. 
Um, Which senator would have the courage to propose such a radical amendment? Still, still better delivery than Cara Delevingne. Um, I, I also, I mean, yeah, it's an important scene that you need to have, I guess, kind of in their building of, you know, because like, you don't yeah. really get a whole lot. <laughs> yeah, uh, I like, I, I do like the little bit with floating Yoda, though, kind of just like, lazy I am, walk next to Jedi I can't do. <laughs> just like floating. I need this. <laughs> But I do, I do like. It just reminds me of Phantom Menace. I just wanted to go. Oh, take him away, like just, <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> Newton Rune away. Take him, you must. <laughs> um, but I, there is, there's some Ewan McGregor stuff here. Like I feel when even with Samuel Jackson in this bit, like when Yoda says something like, "Oh, arrogant you are." Just this, this little smirk they both share. It just, it just kind of yeah. annoys me. It's kind of like, oh, that's a little bit weird. Um, but. What else do we have? Oh, yeah, so the whole Jar Jar introduction. Geez, he's definitely qualified for the job, so good job, Padme. Uh, <laughs> this is where Anakin really does need to go, and you're not a politician. You just promoted Jar Jar Binks to be a, a senator. Mm-hmm. Like, what the hell? Um, uh, there's definitely the line there from Natalie Portman when she's like, Representative Binks, I trust you. Like, it sounds like she's talking to yeah. a child. Like, mm-hmm. it's so bad. I... The thing, like, I really like about this movie saying that Natalie Portman just looks amazing. I think, like, every, like, literally every scene she's in, she's basically in a different costume except for the last, you know, half an hour, which is fantastic because that's the best thing she's in all movie. But I just, I love the costuming in this movie. Like, I love kind of the the pointed hair that she's got, which is almost like a, well, it's not really a throwback to Leia, is it? Because Leia's kind of going to have that, I guess, based on this fashion for for women or, I don't know. Ford. Yeah, Ford. Um, so I just, I just love that outfit kind of, oh, my microphone keeps falling off. It's not like I'm talking here. Um, it sounded like you were opening the fridge. This is making Ben hungry. All these dinner rolls and fruit scenes coming up. Her hair. It just, they look like big bread rolls. <laughs> um, but I, I just love the outfit she's got with the hair. But I, one thing actually, I, I, I think they do quite well in this movie because isn't Hayden Christensen's fairly tall, right? And Natalie Portman's yeah. quite short. Um, so there's definitely moments here where they do their best to kind of make them look a similar height. Like, I, there's definitely a discrepancy there, but another point was apparently very small. So, um, I, it's one thing I noticed. I also like when they're talking here and you see, like, the window cleaning robots. Like, wouldn't that be a good place for the, yeah. the Boba Fett, Kujango Fett to, like, send one of those things again and just assassinate? Like, they're clearly not scared of, uh, robots on the windows again anymore. Um... <laughs> It is a bit odd sometimes. Like, I get why they're doing it with Anakin and kind of every now and then he's kind of hating on, I hate him, Obi-Wan. But kind of just like, you know, he just will randomly fluctuate in between it, doesn't he? Like, here, like, oh, sometimes he's holding me back, you know? And then he just kind of, like, snaps out of it five minutes later. Like, he's like a father to me. I guess it's a teenager, though. Like, you're working out your feelings. I don't... Yeah, exactly. I hate you! (laughs) I don't understand how Padme has, like, two tiny suitcases, yet she's got, like, 50 outfits that she's got in this movie. So there's another <laughs> thing. Um, I also, talking about bad line deliveries, oh, God, you've caught me on here, ripping into my girl here. Um, the way she turns to Anakin's like, Anakin, you've grown up. Like, just the way she says that. Oh, yeah. Noise me. Um, but I also... but. Having said that, like, I did say there's definitely some moments in this movie where I think she, like, actually does do really good delivery. Like, I actually think she delivers that, you know, please don't look at me like that. It makes me feel uncomfortable. Like, yeah. she's got that stare on her face. And then speaking of stare on the face, that creepy look that Anakin gives. Like, Sorry, my lady. Oh. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> He's like, oh, she doesn't like it. I'm turned on. <laughs> was, was this your first meeting with Mallory? He's like, please don't look at me like that. <laughs> exactly. Sorry, Canadian, ma'am. Makes me uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> when Because the, they've told them to take refugee transport. Now, I'm guessing Senator pa- Padme Amidala is a fairly well-known figure. And, like, uh-huh. is the Queen of Naboo a fit? Like, how is she just walking around with, like, a dinner plate on her head in a, in a, <laughs> in a robe just jumping on a refugee? Like, if Donald Trump was like, take refugee transport, Donald, like, you need to get out of America, somebody's gonna recognize him. Like, does nobody watch the news on Coruscant? Like, it's a capital. Like, everyone's. How many. How many decoys have died when all she had to do was put a plate on her head? <laughs> exactly. Um, I actually really like the dynasty. Like, everyone rips into the dynasty. I love the waitress. Like, you want a cup of java juice? Um, and it was on one of the DVDs when they had, like, those animated menus. Like, you press the button and it, she came up and it's like, hey, hon, you want some java juice? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> um, this is definitely the scene, though, where I feel Ewan McGregor just is struggling to act in front of nothing. Because mm-hmm. there's a moment, yeah. that, like, at the end when he's like, how deep your pocketbooks are. He just has this, like, really awkward smirk on his face. And then he stares awkwardly at the dart, like, as a way to close out the scene. <laughs> I just it just it it bothers me. But um Dex is so funny. I worked with a woman who looked exactly like Dex. I'm not even joking. Like I met this woman and I'm like, who do you look like? Who do you look like? And she had like this weird like neck and it was kind of like I don't know, it was like flabby <laughs> flabby neck and she had like an awkward looking face and she looked like Dex. Like I wish I had a photo of this woman to show you because you would agree with me. She looked like Dex. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, God, it was funny. It took me so long to finally catch on in my head. Like, who does she look like? Um, yeah, the library scene. The how, library. how weird would it have been if, if she came up to you one day and was like, hey, old buddy. <laughs> we just like, what just happened? <laughs> and she turned around and said to me, like, just depends how deep your pocketbooks are. <laughs> Pocket booker. Um, Waterworth. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the, the librarian. I just want her... To, I wish she was the... Um, my bone jerking Annie woman. Like, just like she's grown up or something like that. <laughs> um, I mean, it's just kind of going back to the saying about how there's like that gradual build between what? these two sort of, um, you know, being a bit at, against each other. But just little scenes of them eating the the dinner and, you know, getting the bread roll from R2 and things like that. Like, there are just moments that you can see, like, kind of... it's And it's obviously mainly Padme kind of, like, you know, seeing through this and kind of falling for him a little bit. Yeah. But, and then, like, Hayden Christian still also got, like... You talk about that awkwardness. Like, when he's having this conversation and he's kind of, you know, you, you're as beautiful as you were in my dreams, kind of like, yeah, it's bad dialogue and everything like that. But at, at the same time, like, this is what an awkward teenager would be saying in front of, like, a girl exactly, yeah. thought about. Like, I, you know, would definitely be like well, that in front of Natalie Portman. 30-something-year-old men. <laughs> yes. If I'm in front yeah. of Natalie Portman and she's just there, like, you know, talking to me, I'm just going to be like, I've thought about you in my dreams every day, Natalie. <laughs> um, yeah, the little kids annoy me. <laughs> like, you hate the old people. You know I hate the kids. Um, you know, maybe it was erased from the archives. Um, just that look, <laughs> just that look again. That you like, I think you and McGregor's awkward around kids too, because it's just the look he yeah. gives. Like, a, shut up, you little shit. 
Um, but I was like, <laughs> I was like Yoda. Mm, impressive, the mind of a child is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he gives his laugh to. <laughs> I do like the fact, though, that they've got, like, this little ball thing with, like, the, the entire universe and kind of the way Obi-Wan's just like, it should be, mm. like, right here. And also, I do like Yoda. Lost a planet, Obi-Wan has. Hmm. Very <laughs> embarrassing. Very <laughs> embarrassing. How embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> what if Obi-Wan really was embarrassed by that? He's walking through the halls trying to leave. He's like, hey, Obi-Wan, heard you lost a planet. And he's like, come on, guys, enough. I just want, like, I want to tell you, shut up, Yoda, I thought you were going to be alive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you ever seen the Lethal Weapon. Have you ever seen the Lethal Weapon movies where, like, yeah. uh, in the fourth one, Danny Culver actually strips down to his boxers and uh, they have a gunfight with somebody and there's a picture of him in his boxers dancing like a chicken uh, <laughs> in, in the newspaper and people keep putting it up. And, like, a year later, he'll walk into the, the police station and they've got one of these clippings from the newspaper with him and his boxers. This isn't funny, guys. And Mel is like, come on. This man has feelings, and Mel Gibson keeps putting them up. Like that's the way I picture this with Obi Wan. People keep putting like you know the uh, a star chart of this you know, on Obi Wan's cubicle with a circle, missing planet. <laughs> he thought he lost a planet. Come on, guys, it's not funny anymore. Okay, he the planet's to, real. He goes to like the Jedi cafeteria for lunch with his little tray. And it's like, hey, Obi Wan, got you a carton of milk. Passes it to him, and it's got on the side, missing planet. <laughs> Shut up, you guys! <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, so, yes. Um, I, I actually never noticed the Gungans before when they're <laughs> using their... I just, I'm looking at it now and I see them. Um, but also, like, Padme had, like, two suitcases, then Anakin's carrying two of them, and then Padme's got, like, another... That just reminds me of the Phantom Menace. Like, oh, we've mainly just got the Queen's wardrobe on board. <laughs> Like, yeah, the Queen's wardrobe. Where's Anakin's bag? Anakin, where's your bag? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Where does he put this poncho when he's done? <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, I also just love random R2, just like chilling in the... Why is R2 even there? Like, oh, we have R2 with us. Uh, um, like, do refugee have their own droid? <laughs> exactly. Or maybe that's what droids are, refugees. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> free the refugees. Um <laughs> Yeah, I don't really have much. I don't didn't know that about the background of the queen. I, I just never liked this queen. Uh, she just, just stands up and walks off, and oh, that's terrible trust, actress. Trust the republic, and blah, blah, blah. Um, let us pray that never comes. <laughs> I will not condone a course of action. Actually, fuck it. I will condone a course of action that will lead us to war. <laughs> fuck you all. Um, is she the queen in Revenge of the Sith at Padme's funeral? That's a different one. Oh, jeez. And what, actually, speaking of queens, how are queens elected? Like, what is this planet? Like, <laughs> like they just round up a bunch of girls between the ages of 10 and 15, and it's like, pick one, everybody. But is this where she's like, you know, it is, isn't it? Where she's like, oh, some people said I was too old to be the queen, but I didn't think I was, old. like, just randomly like, going is- on about it. What? Do they have, like debates for their elections too it's like i promise to put an end to corruption or is it more like you know like uh i don't know a junior miss america pageant where it's like uh and padme amadala of naboo will be tap dancing for us in the talent competition the bikini the swimsuit competition just reminds you of miss congeniality it's kind of like and what's one thing you wish we had it's like tougher tougher uh violations for parole people ted and world peace! 
Oh, I love that movie. Um, yeah, she, she's totally wearing a dinner plate on her head, though. Like she's got like it's like a gladiator <laughs> helmet with like a dinner plate with a freaking burka that connects to the thing. Like seriously, I, it's I the same how water wears later, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> but it's like it's when um you know I said I went to that the Star Wars costume exhibition when I was in Denver, and again like. 75 or 80% of all the costumes were just Padme costumes because she goes through so many. Mm-hmm. I'm done. No, that's all I had to say. <laughs> I want to get to the next... Let's end on a high <laughs> The boosty. Maybe we should, yeah, we should end on a high note. Um, okay, so I'm going to do the same thing here, uh, breaking up these two stories into pieces because there's one part we really want to talk about. But let's cover the good part, but the one we have less to talk about, the Obi-Wan stuff first. So... Uh, Obi-Wan gets into his Jedi Starfighter, comes out of hyperspace in his Jedi Starfighter, which, talk about favorite ships. This is my favorite ship of all the prequel movies. This kind of a combination of what looks like a little bit of an A-wing from the original movies, but it's got, like, this TIE Fighter look to it, too, where the wings come out, and it's got this hyperdrive engine that they jettison once they're out of hyperspace. It's so cool. Uh, and I love the Jedi Star. They had the Starfighter video game where you're piloting a Naboo fighter. And then the sequel, Jedi Starfighter, where you're piloting one of these. Two of my favorite games from, like, uh, the, the PlayStation and Xbox era. Uh, so it, there we are for our missing planet, Camino. Like, this'll, this'll put those nasty rumors and jokes to an end. <laughs> there it is, the missing planet. He's Skyping everybody. He's like, See, I told you, missing planet, guys. Taking a selfie on Instagram. Look, missing planet. <laughs> Obi-Wan finds missing planet. <laughs> Hashtag stop making fun of me. <laughs> um, so Camino's basically a water world, and um, it's another really cool environment. But some of the effects, again, looked great in the theater, don't look good. Uh, when you get like the big ocean shots, uh, doesn't look as good on DVD or whatever. Uh, but when he lands there, he's immediately greeted by you know a couple of Kaminoans, giant tall necked creatures uh, who speak very properly or extremely polite, uh, but creepy at the same time. I like the way the Kaminoans, you know, when we talk about how George Lucas used accents in the first one, so it's like every species would look and feel like a different, you know, like we would have different ethnicities. You get so much criticism of that. It's like, fine, I'm not going to change their accents. I'm just going to have them talk weird. And I love the kind of weird, unsettling way the Caminoans talk where it's like it's polite, but it's just it sounds almost rehearsed and weird. Um, but uh, they basically seem to not be surprised that Obi-Wan's there. And it's like uh, the prime minister has been expecting you. And he's like, expecting me. Uh, and this is some more of that stuff where Ewan McGregor spends half this movie acting opposite nothing. Uh, and you can really see the difference coming up when he meets Jango Fett, like where his performance just changes. Uh, but, you know, credit for him being able to do that. I mentioned, you know, well, I'll give a whole bunch of credit when we get to Empire Strikes Back about Mark Hamill having to act opposite nothing. But Ewan McGregor does even more so here. Um, but when he's meeting with these Kaminoans, they're basically saying like 10,000, you know, clones are ready with a million more on the way. And I love Obi-Wan going, that's Good news. <laughs> the way Obi-Wan blocks his face in this scene is hilarious. Uh, and then um, they're saying, please tell your master Sypha Dios that his clone army will be ready on time. And he's like, uh, tell me, did, did my master mention anything else that I might need to know? <laughs> just start from the beginning, guys. Let's go back 10 years ago. And he's just trying to coax all this information. They seem to think he's supposed to be there, but Obi-Wan's like, I have no idea what they're talking about. Um, and then the one part that's kind of questionable... I, We'll we'll cover the backstory with Sifidius. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll do it a little bit later on uh, when he gets mentioned later on. But uh, well, let's just talk about it quickly now. So Sifidius is mentioned here as the one who placed the order. Now, 
in the original script, this was always supposed to be Sidious. And the name Sifo-Dyas was really supposed to be Sido-Dyas. S-I-D-O and the last name D-Y-A-S. And there was a typo at one point in the script where it was written as Sifo instead of Sido. And George Lucas looked at it and said, hmm, I kind of like the sound of Sifo-Dyas. That sounds cooler. The original idea was that this was going to be Palpatine. But then as this script evolved, George Lucas is like, no, I actually have a different idea um, because they, he wanted to make Sifo-Dyas a real kid, where the Jedi would be even more confused. So like, wait, but Sifo-Dyas died. So the whole backstory was supposed to be revealed in Revenge of the Sith, but example of biting off more than you can chew in these movies and having to just choose what's the most important story ended up sort of being semi-told in one of the novels and then later in the Clone Wars, uh, one of the last seasons of the Clone Wars. But the idea here is that there was a real Jedi named Sifo-Dyas who was almost like a psychic Jedi. Like he could, the way that like, you know, Yoda can sense the future or Anakin has these premonitions. Sifo-Dyas was like extreme premonitions. And he 100% believed that he saw the future, that there would be a war and that they would need an army. And against the Jedi's wishes, he went to these communities and started doing preliminary negotiations saying, I want an army. I need, you know, 100,000 soldiers or whatever. Uh, I, I need it ready within, you know, 10, 20 years or something like that. And he sort of made the initial contact. Sifo-Dyas eventually is killed. And Sidious and Dooku, who know about this whole thing that Sifo-Dyas did, basically decide to take over uh, in place of him. So these Kaminoans were contacted by a real Jedi who was preparing for a war, but when they killed Sifo-Dyas, they're like, we can take this army for ourselves and use this to our advantage. So they assumed the role of Sifo-Dyas sort of secretly, hired Jango Fett, and then basically fulfilled this order. So that's the way that it was supposed to be. It's never revealed in the movie, but I actually do love it, especially when I saw this the first time. I love that whole mystery of Sifo-Dyas. And I don't feel like it was something you were so invested in that when it didn't get revealed in Revenge of the Sith, you cared. Because I think there was so much other stuff in Revenge of the Sith that was satisfying enough that it didn't bother me. But the thing that does bother me here is that Obi-Wan says to them, Master Sifo-Dyas was killed almost 10 years ago. Um, later, he says to Yoda and Mace, Oh, he was killed more than 10 years ago. I thought he was killed before that. Why does he even think to say almost 10 years? It's not like the Kaminoans had said to him, 10 years ago, your master <laughs> contacted us for this. Like, it's not covering for anything. It's just, it's actually bad writing that he has to say almost 10 years ago here. Um, but everything else happens. Like, when they say, I'm sure you're anxious to inspect these units. He goes, that's why I'm here. <laughs> Obi-Wan, like, he may not have the best acting when he has to act opposite nothing but he does have a lot of really good subtle humor in these scenes um following this they take him on a tour of the facility uh you get to see the clones all at different ages so you see the ones that are all identical to boba fett because there's they have the they mentioned the growth acceleration here so they in 10 years they become so these are like only 10 years old but they're full-grown adult size now and the other ones that are like five years old or full-grown child size or whatever um, and I, I love when they, they mentioned, you know, uh, who was the original host? He was a bounty hunter named Django Fett. And it's like, oh, uh, oh, we keep him here. <laughs> there he's in a cage in the back or something like that. Uh, but I'd be very happy to arrange a meeting. Like, that's what I'm talking about, where it's like they're so polite but creepy at the same time. And then we get this incredible shot, like the first shot of the clones in costume. And everybody knew at this point that the clone troopers were the stormtroopers because we saw images. The costume is very similar. It's basically just a cross between a stormtrooper and Boba Fett. Uh, <laughs> did I call him a stormtrooper? <laughs> stormtrooper. <laughs> the stormtroopers were the early prototypes of the stormtroopers. Um, but uh, it's, it's this cross between it. But 
even though I know I'd seen them in the trailers and, and pictures and everything, that image where they're playing that music, like the, the droid army music from the first one, like, dun, 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 and you see the clone army marching in unison, and they're just, like, magnificent. Like, it's actually, like, a really powerful scene because you know, like, the stormtroopers later on. That's always been one of my favorite moments of this movie. Uh, and then after this, they take him to meet Jango. Uh, this is one of my favorite scenes of the whole movie because, again, they're both playing this so dry and so tense while also for the Kaminoans, they're almost like, okay, well, we neither of us want to let on that we know what the other one's up to. But Obi-Wan walks in there and they had to digitally remove the direction Ewan McGregor's eyes were pointed because they looked at the footage and Ewan McGregor sort of – it wasn't like he looked in the closet where you see Django's costume that he later has Baba uh, – close the door for but it's like he, the audience isn't going to believe that he wouldn't see that out of the corner of his eye so they actually digitally altered Ewan McGregor's eyes to be pointed in the other direction when he walks past this room so the audience wouldn't question well why didn't he arrest him right there but when he meets Jenga Fett and Boba Fett of course introduced here too um, the scene is just so hilariously tense because all their dialogue is like your clones are very impressive you must be very like they're almost like gritting their teeth it's, it's like two guys who are shaking hands yeah, they're flirting, yeah. This is the real sexual tension. They're like, Hayden Christensen and Natalie Portman have nothing on Temi or Morrison and uh, Ewan McGregor here. Um, but uh, uh, the way that uh, they go back and forth where, where he's saying, you've never heard of Cypher Diaz, and, and Django sort of takes like a step forward. This one's like stepping up to Ewan McGregor. It's like asserting his dominance, like never heard of him. And yet they're still playing it, like smiling, like two guys who are like handshaking but trying to crush their hands at the same time. I just I absolutely love this scene. Um, and, uh, when, uh, he says, thank you for your time. He goes, always a pleasure to meet a Jedi. Like it's, it's played so well between these two guys. I mean, Temi R. Morrison, I mean, he's, he's fantastic and everything. And what's that movie he made? Um, the, the New Zealand movie. Once were warriors. The, um, Once warriors. Yeah. I remember seeing that movie, you know, after this, it came out being like, I wonder what else this guy's in. And he's just fantastic. Uh, he's great in everything. Um, but, uh, yeah, you and McGregor and him play well off of each other here. Um, I'm just going to cover all the Obi-Wan stuff, and then we'll cut to the good stuff after that. <laughs> uh, the fruits and the sand and everything. But um, when he leaves here, Obi-Wan eventually uh, says goodbye to the Kaminoans, and he's like, oh, yeah, I'll tell the council that everything's looking good. And then he goes outside. Then he has a line here that confused me up until only this first time, this last most recent time I watched it. So I've seen this movie dozens upon dozens of times. I wouldn't be surprised if it was over 50 times I've seen this movie in my life. And when he goes outside and he tells R4 to, you know, call the Jedi Council, he says, scramble code five to Coruscant, care of the old folks home. I always wonder, like, is Yoda in a senior's home or something? Like, it never made sense <laughs> to me until now where he realized that, like, that is what they're – if you're scrambling your call, it's like, so it's going to say I'm calling the old folks home so nobody thinks that I'm calling the Jedi Council. This is, like, their way of getting around it. But it's taken me 17 years to realize <laughs> scramble code five to Coruscant – care of the old folks home is just their code in case somebody intercepts this call like well i'm not going to listen to something about an old folks home <laughs> um yeah it's just that always confused me and i'll have obi-wan in the rain here just like shouting like there's a lot of great tension here where he's talking about they're using a bounty hunter named Django fett and it's like do you think these cloners are involved in the plot to assassinate some of all three of these guys if you include frank oz as a guy because he's still a real person doing the voice you know they actually dramatically bring a lot to this section of the movie which is while the love story is going on opposite this, this is creating some tension. Um, and I just love the Obi-Wan investigator stuff. Like, this is the way you sort of imagine a Jedi's real job would be. It's not just lightsaber battles. A lot of it is, 
I'm going to get to the bottom of this. Like they're like private eyes, and that's always so fun to me. And eventually they say, you know, let's question this uh, Django Fett. Um, so Obi Wan eventually does go question Django. Uh, questions him. Uh, I guess these are called aggressive questioning because he does it with a lightsaber. Get it? <laughs> you got to. <laughs> okay. So, uh, he he does a question. He immediately pulls out his lightsaber, and Jango Fett starts shooting him. And Boba Fett's here, and uh, he starts the ship. We get a fight scene uh, in the rain, which is great. Uh, Obi Wan loses his lightsaber. He gets his hands tied up. He's being dragged around. Like everything that like we saw little bits of a Boba Fett, we get to see in full use here with Jango. He's got the gadgets. He's he's dangerous. He's got the weapon. He's got his ship. He's he's fighting hand to hand combat. Like it's a short sequence, but it's a lot of fun. And I love the music in here too. Um, I, I love when Obi Wan gets pulled over the edge. He's like, not good. Yeah, <laughs> like that's that. the opposite. That was good, and now this is not good. <laughs> Uh, and of course, the the most famous bit off of this is as Django is finally making his getaway uh, after he loses Obi Wan, just as Obi Wan's coming right back, where he's walking up the the ramp into his ship as Boba Fett's lifting off, and he hits his head on the top of the door, which is a throwback, an intentional throwback to the shot of the stormtrooper bumping his head on the Death Star in A New Hope, which was a mistake, but people noticed it, and it became such like a you know a famous uh, blooper that George Lucas actually said, you know what, I'm going to have fun with this. I'm going to say that the clone, the stormtroopers, they have the same DNA as Jango Fett, so they probably are clumsy just like him. So I'm going to explain why that guy hit his head later on, which was George Lucas having some fun with an original blooper. Um, but I love the Jango Fett character and this whole sequence of the movie. And also Boba Fett. I mean, he's gotten a lot of criticism because people were – they wanted to see Boba Fett in action. But, like, how old would Boba Fett would have to have been if he was really, you know, a bounty hunter at this point? I don't mind – See, Django and Boba, they're the same person anyways. Uh, and this kid got a lot of criticism too. But like Lucasfilm was very attached to the, the kid. I can't remember his name, but the kid who plays Boba Fett. So much so that uh, when the character came on to the Clone Wars series, they used him to voice it. So they didn't get Temuera Morrison or even the guy who does the voice of all the clone troopers on the Clone Wars series. They said, let's let this kid reprise the role of Boba Fett. He was like 12 when he made this movie. And he's like 18 in the, when the animated series and let him do it. And then there was the Star Wars Underworld TV show that George Lucas was developing. Like, now we have the Mandalorian TV show, which is a separate thing. But they were going to bring this kid back too. So for whatever reason, this little kid you know, was very popular among all the people at Lucasfilm where they were going to continue to use not just recast him but use him as Boba Fett in the future. But I couldn't care less if Boba Fett's a kid. I think the involvement of Boba Fett in this movie is fine just because it's only there to please the fans anyways. I mean George Lucas admitted he's like – he was never in the original backstories. The only reason I put him in this movie is because people were so attached to the characters from the original and they wanted to see more of them. So I'm like, let's have some fun and let's, you know, tie in the stormtroopers with Boba Fett in some way. I, I mean, I don't get the love of Boba Fett. Boba Fett's cool. Don't get me wrong. I don't dislike Boba Fett, but like, he's just got this huge thing about him. Doesn't he? That everybody loves him. Um, yeah. so, I mean, I get it. Like, I'm I'm not one of these people who, you know, like, people complain about Chewbacca being in Revenge of the Sith and stuff like that. Like, I kind of think it's cool. Like, I think kind of the, some of them are more forced in the Disney ones. It's kind of like, oh, well, you know, got to have this, that, and everything else. I don't know. It's just, it, I feel like you need to have them here and there, you know, because it, it, it makes sense in this grand scheme of this universe. It's a living universe. It's not just all about the Skywalkers. We've got other people in here that you like to see bits and bobs of them as well. So, I'm 
fine with it. I, I and Bob's and yeah, exactly. I see. I really like um, that we sort of get a background of the stormtroopers. Because like, stormtroopers are some of my favorite things out of the original. I just love stormtroopers. So, but like clones and stormtroopers are different, right? Like they're sort of the original stormtroopers that become more yeah. human. Is that right? Mm. Yeah. Well, like, I think they become recruits at some point. Right, because obviously we have Finn and things like that. But um, yeah, so I, I like that, and I, I like all the Camino stuff. Like I, I when Mallory was watching this, she straight away said like the the Camino uh, ones are like creepy. Um, and yeah, I, I love the Ewan McGregor stuff. Like that's good news. Um, that's why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> Prime Minister of Cam- how long have these Camino people just been sitting around waiting? Like, I wonder when the Jedi will show up. It might be today. They're very patient. <laughs> They're very, very patient. Have they been leaving like voicemails for Sifo-Dyas for the last ten years? Like, <laughs> Master Sifo-Dyas, your clones are now eight years old, and you're welcome to come anytime. Seriously, Sifo-Dyas. We have 200,000 of these just sitting around. <laughs> we can't use them. Will you? <laughs> <laughs> I know you've paid us already, but uh, we need the facilities for another order, and you're really going to have to take some of these soon. We have 200,000 Gungan orders coming in. Hurry the fuck up. <laughs> is this a plot hole? Let's quickly, just cutting in here, this is the one thing that's always bothered me, because I get the whole idea of Palpatine set this up. So that he would have a, he, he's orchestrated both sides of the war. He's like, I want my apprentice to be on one side of this war, I'll be on the other, so we can control this whole war. But the idea that they get the army in the first place only comes down to the Jedi finding this facility. Mm. Like, if they had followed through with their original plan, how does the Republic get this army? Well, I do think, again, if you, we, I talked a little bit about last week, there is definitely a lot of convenience aspects to how things happen. Like, mm. you know, Darth Vader becomes Darth Vader purely on convenience, like by going into that one shop in Tatooine and stuff like that. So, but I mean, again, let's, let's take a look at another one. What if Obi-Wan had have gone to protect Padme and Anakin, Anakin went to go to Kamino? Like, yeah. Obi-Wan could have fucked Padme. <laughs> <laughs> It would have been different. I do like sand, even though it's coarse and rough and irritating. Yeah. <laughs> I love them. I love them all. But I don't like fruit. I hate it. I hate all of them. <laughs> He's Felix in Casino Royale. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I love the scene, the overshot of like all the clones sort of marching. Uh, I love the Django meeting as well. Um, yeah, that always a pleasure to meet a Jedi. That was like always in all the trailers, wasn't it? Um but little, I will say, little Bobber does kind of piss me off. Like, again, it's just a child acting thing. Like, there's that one scene coming up soon. It's like, yes, Dad, hit him, hit him, fire! Like, I hate that line oh, so well, much. Well, before we even, uh, uh, we'll get there in a minute, but the one that bothers me, uh, where, where, his, um, where he's like, we got him! <laughs> like, oh, just, we got Yippee! him! <laughs> exactly. I love, the I love the fight. of it. The fight on the the, mm-hmm. the pad, I was say helipad, the ship pad. Like I I love that. It's so awesome with the rain and kind of just it. It's just a good old fight. And I think kind of you know I love the way he's climbing up with the grip things on his uh, elbows and going up there. I've always wondered about their ship though. Like he's in Boba Fett ship, how sort of they would have lay down before they take up. Like I get that's kind of like the Apollo <laughs> ones, isn't it? When they take off on like Apollo, yeah, they sort of lay down, but. I don't know the convenience of that. Like you got to lay down before you take off, but um, 
Yeah, I love that fight. Like, I just, I've always really liked that fight. And just the visual, like, I love the rain and kind of how it's all falling down and just, it, it looks great. I think it looks really good. And just one more thing to add on this. You know, the, the most important thing that Obi-Wan does here, which becomes one of multiple plot uh, holes in The Last Jedi we're going to get to later, Obi-Wan uh, attaches something to Boba Fett's ship, which allows him to track him through hyperspace! <laughs> Which apparently and, nobody can do for 60 years. And he doesn't run out of fuel. It's not about like, oh, it's a slow <laughs> test. We're going to run out of fuel. Again, we're two episodes into Star Wars. When has anyone ever mentioned fuel? <laughs> I mean, the hyperdrive generator is gone. But not, we're out of gas. We're going to need to refuel. <laughs> Fucking hell. But the, the, the tracking through hyperspace thing, like, it, it, it makes sense. But let's we're we're gonna get there in a couple weeks. But uh, let's just dump on Last Jedi a little bit early here. Uh, when we go from Rogue One to A New Hope, they track them through hyperspace. <laughs> this is normal. Everybody Maybe, does it. Everyone's environmentally conscious in the Last Jedi time frame. Like it's just kind of like, oh, yeah, exactly. we've reached peak oil. We better save gas. We haven't switched to electric yet. Uh, we can't use one of those um, those tracking devices they used to use back in the old days because they emit greenhouse gases. Exactly. <laughs> one thing I will say, though. The does, carbon footprint is large for tracking devices. Do, does everyone just have this in his pocket for moments like this, though? Like, what, is just, <laughs> does he have, like, 20 of these in his pocket? Oh, I know. I've got one of these in my pocket. <laughs> That's right next to my pocketbook. <laughs> Lucky I had that with me. The Dex told me I might have a large one. So, <laughs> so it's going to end a bit abruptly there. You're probably wondering why, and that's purely because we recorded so long we had to go into a second part. Yes, we made the rule that if any of these Star Wars episodes went over five hours, we would be separating them into two parts to make them slightly easier on you, the listener, to be able to listen to them. So... We've reached about that point where you need to stop listening to this one, go find part two, and continue listening on there. We appreciate you listening, and hope you enjoy the rest of our Star Wars Episode 2 Attack of the Clones recap over on part two. As I used to say back in the day, turn the page. Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net. 